right, Jay. It's good to see you, buddy. We're here. We're back. I feel like we haven't done this in forever. And it's the finale. Finale of season, season one. Season one. It was, I mean, it was fucking jam-packed, full of action. We should do one of those things right now on the screen. Can you do that? Should. <laughs> it should end with Wayne Weber with those glasses on and that smile. Ooh, yeah, he's Denzel's like daddy. <laughs> yeah, that was a good podcast. Oh yeah, oh Wayne's so cool. Wayne's I can't wait good. to get him back up here. And it, it's a, I, I don't know how at fifty years old my man's teeth are better. They get better every year. How's that even happen? <laughs> he's like a super well loved guy in the community too. Like if you just oh, Google yeah. his name, <clears throat> so many people wrote articles when he stepped down or when he left uh retired yeah. out, of, out of hnk they all yeah. loved him he's humble man i had dinner with him uh, two years ago i think yeah. and uh first time i ever met him it was it was good he was a good dude man yeah you could tell super down to earth uh, i've <laughs> never heard a, a single negative thing about him no nope. he knows so much too he was there i'm surprised how much he knew yeah yeah oh th- i mean there's there's no way he and jim shots they were there for I mean, the heyday, which made me, I mean, the, the two of them were a huge part of what made me love guns and want to want to do something in just small arms. Travis Haley, how you doing, buddy? Good, sir. How you doing? I'm good. It's good to see you. It's been a long time. I know you got old since I saw <laughs> you last time. <laughs> Jay, you're so young. Do you, you, you ever heard of Travis Haley? Or yeah, it's Grand Thumbs Dad. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, oh, oh yeah. that's the thing yeah, you were yeah. telling me? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, they they both have, like, good hair. Yeah. Good genes. I'm receding oh. a little bit, but I'm holding on to it. Oh, <laughs> poor fucking guy. It's receding a little bit, Thomas. You hear that shit? Jesus Christ. Yours is starting to. <laughs> yeah, it's <That's> 15. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about yours? Is that why you wear the hat all the time? You you got the big widow's peak? I got a little widow's peak, but but like just not. No, I got hair. I got full head of hair. Hair for hair. days, huh? Yeah, I'm holding on to it while I can. Well, uh, so w- what brings you here to New Hampshire? Well, we're up here at SIG uh, teaching a course. Uh, we we try to come up here at least once or twice a year. Oh, yeah, you do? Yeah, we've been doing it for probably seven years now. And, uh, of course, COVID shut all that oh, trash yeah, down yeah, yeah. and some conflicts uh, over there, I guess, on the training side. And, and now we're back. So, Dude, they're uh, building a big-ass new building yeah, over there. The Shop. It's called the SIG Experience or something like that. Yeah. Spend all that money you make, man. That's the uh, way. That's Living La Vida Loca. I saw, like, the plans for it or the digital mock-up they did, and it looks crazy. Yeah. Like, looks pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't – I don't think they have the room. They never had the room for the inventory in there, so they're finally getting yeah. smart with it because they do, they do really well with their showroom, so they're just expanding that model, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. I mean, I mean, SIG's got so many SKUs and creating so many new ones. And mm-hmm. yeah, because they used to have a pretty uh, aggressive uh, employee purchase program. I think eight a year. When I was there, yeah, you get eight a year, like half price or yeah. something. So, yeah. so it was a lot of that. But um, yeah, I always loved that facility. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's nice here. Facility's great. Well, I, I was I was there for four years and I've only seen like two of the ranges. Really? Yeah, but huh. I know it's I know it's pretty expensive. Well, I mean, I've seen like fancy. I don't know. I hadn't been there in several years now, obviously, but uh, I've seen like fancier ranges. But how it was set up for the most part for the land that they have and where it is, you know, we could we could do everything we needed to do there, and 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 that was great. You know, you had kind of ranges for everything that were very functional. Yeah. yeah. No, they've expanded quite a bit. Um. And that's why we keep coming back because there's always a great, great group of a community of shooters here. Obviously, New Hampshire's great. Um, 
and and we got a great relationship with the instructors there as well, the directors. So it uh it's it's a good you know symbiotic relationship we yeah. can come back to where some ranges are fantastic even better than Sig that it's just hard to do what you want to do while you're there. Yeah, it was um uh, at least when I was there, there was a lot of great people at the academy and in the pro shop, and the way it was run was great. You know they allowed us because you know we're not working at the academy we're coming over and testing stuff you know engineering side and all that and they were just so gracious and accommodating yeah i really enjoyed it because yeah you go to a lot of places and they could be nice but you got those range nazis those assholes Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah we encounter that a lot being a mobile training team so so um you're you're in arizona now yeah scottsdale arizona so mobile so do you guys have a facility there we do. Uh, we've got um, we've got a training team of about ten guys uh, that travel around the country and they're in different places. Um, and then we've got about 60, 60 employees in Scottsdale. Um, our headquarters there all R D facilities, uh, all of our distribution, um, all of our marketing teams, and all of our stuff going on. Um, so this is for haley strategic what, what's the name of this right company? so it's haley strategic partners is our headquarters company and then we have haley strategic train llc yeah uh, for obvious liability reasons and um and then we have a couple other companies that we started now um you know jim fuller who was yeah. the former owner of rifle dynamics uh he he parted ways with rifle dynamics for certain reasons and um I called him up and said, hey, we've always wanted to do something together. And uh, you're, you know, as, as everybody calls him, the god of the AK. Certainly and is. I said, get your ass down here to Scottsdale. And I uh, moved him down, and we started another company called Fuller Phoenix together. And we soft-launched it. So he's doing, like, good custom builds right now, like really high-end $5,000, $6,000 AKs. AKs. Man. Oh, yeah, all Russian parts. I mean, this guy, he's a, mag- I mean, he's a magician with that stuff. And uh, so now we are working on our our production line of rifles um coming out here at the first of the year nice. um, i mean doing it all rail systems grips mags got new slab side mags coming and um suppressor ready ready ak's so uh might see some of your stuff on on some ak's oh that's yeah. awesome oh yeah i didn't realize this so, yeah. so otherwise we've been you, quiet about it but yeah i don't stay up with most of the stuff yeah um, i didn't i didn't know about the, the, the fuller bowl. connection i knew he was doing stuff i just didn't put two yeah. and two together oh you're probably all excited now and then we've got some some manufacturing companies soft goods obviously that's our flagship yes stuff. that's what i was going to say i knew you were doing all that so you do cases bags yeah everything most uh we've got you know our standard stuff you're going to see like when i started um overseas i started selling from a, a very early age in the military and uh uh, I don't count home ec in high school, which most people probably don't know what that is anymore. Yeah, and yeah. so I was, a, I was a dental floss and needle guy, man, on, on ships. So when guys needed stuff fixed, I would start doing that until I was bugging the parachute riggers and saying, hey, man, can you guys fix this? Nah, we're not fixing your trash. So I said, well, then teach me how to sew. And that way I don't have to bug you guys. And I had some good mentors. They taught me, and I started creating a little uh, side business on the ship making slings, which is where the, the old Magpul sling came from. Okay, um, so th- this was pre-Magpul and all. Pre, which yeah. So when I got, I got off active duty in 2004, stayed in the reserves for about another five years, and um, started contracting overseas and did the Blackwater thing and, and some other stuff. And then um, in that process of, of going back and forth overseas, I was I was like, well, I'm going to have a company, tax write-off, et cetera, with the intent to have a training company one day because I love sharing information. And uh, I started that. 
and that's where a lot of the early you know designs those those magpul dynamics theory based products came from and so that's when when rich came out and said hey man you know you're you're kind of turning into a a reputable guy in the training company and i know you're also playing with product development and so uh what do you think about coming on board and helping us out and building a world-class training company and i said wow okay that's magpul is an awesome brand you know i'd love to, to take yeah, that on yeah so to go in reverse so you probably don't even know any of this are you old enough to remember when they had magpul dynamics yeah, yeah. okay so well i was just <laughs> not that old man <laughs> well, well you're not i mean he's yeah. like 24 i'm 26 yeah i'm, I'm a kid <laughs> so, yeah so I mean, then, yeah. But so you said you got off active duty in 2004? Yeah. So you just <coughs> did a turn and burn and went right back then? To like when you when you were contracting? Cause I, oh, like, yeah. I was yeah. just saying, because so all, the, all the early videos, like oh, the, the turkey shoot video, that's all 04. That's uh, 04. Yeah. Yeah, everyone from, yeah, 2001 to 11, right. if you got out at that level, you went right into making Yeah, money. I just yeah. didn't realize it was that quick. That I think I was at about 12 years in the Marine Corps, I think, at that point in time. <clears throat> and uh, so my wife and I at the time were separate. She was a, a dermatologist in Balboa in San Diego. I was a force recon guy in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So we had a long-distance relationship for three and a half years with two Ooh. combat deployments inside of that time. And she's like, hey, are we ever going to have like a family thing? You know? And I was like, all right. And uh, I had an eight-year-old son at the time, Travis Jr. And uh, I remember coming home from long deployment turned around went right back and came home and walked in the door and I, I see my boy and I see you know my wife and she's she's like hey look who's home look who's home and he turns around and looks at me and looks back at mom and says mom who's that and I was like Oof, man and that dropped me to my knees you know and I, I didn't know how to handle that at the time I'm um, always one of the guys who had to go 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 and that was just like a big gut check for me and I realized maybe I should find something else that I can bring a family together because I don't want my son growing up without me. And so I decided to get off active duty, stay in the reserves. And uh, that's when I went, I moved out to California. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. Sitting on a beach, um, enjoying myself. Phone rings, some recruiter from Blackwater. Hey, dude, I just heard you got out of the Marine Corps. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, hey, with this new thing. I was like, yeah, I've heard of it. And he's like, would you like to come overseas and, and be on Ambassador Bremer's personal detail? And I'm like, like in Iraq, he's like, yeah, and uh, I was like, dude, that's an honor. Hell yeah, man! And he says, all right, man, we'll see you in two weeks. I got a flight for you. I'm like, cool. And I hang up the phone, and my wife's like, who's that? I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I went right back, and uh, and that's when you know a lot of the things started happening right away, and you know Najaf kicked off, and and that's when the, I guess the the 15 seconds of fame kind of happened when the video was released by somebody online, and and next thing you know I'm like holy shit I'm still operational, you know now I'm really worried, and at about that time, uh, I think it was 2000, probably seven now after contracting for quite a bit, I started my first company which was called SDI. Um, Simply Dynamics Incorporated. And when Rich came out and said, hey, uh, we see what you're doing. You're making a lot of cool products and stuff. You're training, and I need help with this training thing, and I'm not good at it. So he wanted to do the training. It wasn't just because I didn't know. I just assumed that you went there for to help them develop like mm. usable products. No, I had my own machine oh. shops. I had my own sew shops in Hawaii where Rich came out because Rich was always out and back forth to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was I was making small production slings. I was making those ASAP plates, the bad levers for Magpul. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. All that stuff was made in Hawaii on my machines in my garage. And uh, 
I love tinkering. I love making as much stuff as I could. And then that's when Rich said, hey, we'd love you to come on board. I said, well, I've got my own company. How do we do that? And because I didn't know shit about business back then. And I'm still learning. But um, I said, well, if, if, if it works out and this, this is a good relationship, um, would you mind bringing those small products that I've, I've created? I'd like to bring them on board. And he said, well, we don't really do that. And uh, so, well, then let me take responsibility for that. And so we combined Simply Dynamics and Magpul and created Magpul Dynamics. And that's where the name came from. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know any of this. Yeah, a lot of people never, we never really talked about the history much, I guess. And um, at that point, uh, it worked out. I, I was flying back and forth every week to Boulder, to the office. And then I was training. I was doing about 40 courses a year when we kicked off with all the, the videos and, and media stuff. Um, that was, of course, an overnight huge success. And uh, with everything that was happening about that time, all of us were just booming and growing. And uh, yeah. I think even we did some stuff down there with you guys and in, in, uh, was it Georgia? Yeah. And, um, you know, then I stepped in and, and ran the training company, but I was an innovator as well. So I was sitting there and I start listening in on R&D meetings and I'd start adding a little bit of value. And, and of course, like just the sling itself. They said, well, that's not going to be a, a selling product. We don't really do that. You know, we're, we're a molding company mostly. And I said, well, that's why. Let me bring them over and make them theory-based products on the Magpul Dynamics side. And, of course, we can only make about 1,000 slings a month because of the hardware we were sourcing back then. And I said, do we need to injection mold these so we can control the supply chain? And he's like, nah, it's not going to work. And then, of course, the first day we launched it, like the Air Force called and asked for like 26,000 slings or something. I was like, damn. And so we that's when we justified starting to make that an actual product line. And, uh, and then it started to get big. And um, then when the Obama surge started happening, um, that's when they came to me and said, hey, look, uh, we don't know. Uh, because of what's about to happen, we believe we need some, some leadership here. And we believe you're the only one that, that has the talent right now to help lead us through this. So I'm like, wait, you want me to be, wait, you want me to be the CEO of the whole parent company? I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't sign on for that, but if that's what you guys need, I'll, I'll wear that, that Magpul logo like I wear an EGA in my arm. And uh, so we did it. And, of course, I, you know, I was, that was super fast-tracking for me, jumping into a, a fairly large business at the time, you know. And then, you know, fast-forward through all the craziness, three and a half years later, we're a monster, you know, in the industry. And, uh, and that's when it just started really kicking into me, uh, hey where's my principles where do I really want to be I miss training a lot because I wasn't really training anymore we started sending the guys out and I was running running ops and everything back at the shop and uh, it was a beautiful learning experience for me but I, I felt like I, I, I share this kind of this training story I've not shared it much but <clears throat> if you think about like an old Wild Wild West movie, man, when you're watching that train pulling a town and you see that, you know, the smoke pumping out and everybody gets excited because you don't see the train much and it brings people that, you know, you don't, you haven't seen in a long time or never seen, brings entertainment, supplies and medicine and everything else and the town thrives from that train's stop and then the train also thrives from the town and the people that it, that it creates that energy from and it moves on down the tracks. And, uh, but what happens is when you start building a reputation, you start building that brand as, as we know, you can easily lose track of what I consider my principles at the time because, you know, we're starting to look out the window going, okay, here comes another town. Um, yeah, it doesn't have anything to offer us. Let's keep going. And I, I felt like, I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but I, I felt like when I blow through that town, people would be like, hey, wh what about us? 
And I started to get a weird feeling in my stomach to where I wasn't personally comfortable on that fast track in business for me. And of course, you know, there was some other stuff that was going on, some headbutting and design and, and operations. And it was, we were all growing so fast. I think we just lost touch with what we were supposed to be doing. So I personally decided, hey, guys, I'm going to get off this train and jump off. And uh, so I jumped off the train. And if I'm still in this like movie scene, I'm, I, I jump off, I'm rolling down the hill, I'm beating the shit out of myself. And now I'm walking through the desert like, how the hell do I reintroduce myself into the industry after that? And um, so I decided after a long time of thinking, the best thing that I could personally do was instead of starting another train, I want to tr- start a train station. I want to like be able to help other companies. I want to be able to do experiential marketing films. I want to be able to, because uh, I, I felt like I was on a roll with that. And I wanted to get back to my training roots. I wanted to build something for myself. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing. And I started Haley Strategic Partners. Um, and then we created the experiential marketing stuff in the industry, and we worked with a lot of great companies and never even slapped our name on stuff from, from stuff like with Arcteryx or Outdoor Research or, you know, Surefire, G-Code, and a lot of other companies, Safariland at the time. And, um, and then it just started picking up into, hey, now I can focus on my products and started getting into the soft goods really heavy because I really love that side. And uh, we created, a you know, just a chest rig system and some slings. And next thing you know, it's we've got, you know, over 600 SKUs now. And, uh, and yeah, really 600. Yeah. Jesus. We've got over hundred thousand, hundred thousand square feet of manufacturing space. So it has oh, grown man, exponentially and I've got eight companies now and, uh, I'm trying to live the dream, but the more you add, the more harder it gets. So. Man, it's a tough one. I mean, yeah. if you're not growing, you're dying, but then, you know, I'm not waiting until retirement to enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. And I've uh, been, I've been, I've been able to do that. I've been really fortunate uh, i've got a, a wonderful wonderful girlfriend now and uh, we've been together for about four years i've got three boys she has four kids so we have seven kids Ooh, together what is with all these kids <laughs> bill rapier seven kids jay jay from a father of yeah. three yeah who raised them on my own you don't yeah. need to have kids no i know you don't need to have kids <laughs> like it's I'm still trying to figure it out, man. Yeah, yeah. Woo! That's big fun. So that's why it's forced me to kind of slow down a little bit and enjoy life. I've been, I've been getting around trying to do some, and not in the last two years. I've had had some, you know, downtime with surgeries and stuff. Uh, but I've I've been into, you know, powered paramotoring adventure races around the world. Um, you know, trying to stay as active, and, and that's my meditation is flying. I, I love I love flying. Me too. Yeah, big fly guy. He's successful <laughs> at it, Jay. <Yeah. laughs> I have been recently. Uh, we'll see. We'll see in Africa. <laughs> Flying's in his blood. He was in the Air Force, and he crashed our drone first time he touched it, Travis. Yeah, day uh, one. So it's a little bit of a sore spot. Aim high. Are you talking about? Yeah, I was. Oh, flying. he aimed high. I was fighting, but I did not <laughs> win. Uh, are you talking about actually flying? <laughs> or like, <laughs> like, yeah, literally. Okay. It's yeah. like, are we talking? Well, yeah. we can't no, talk para- about it. They're paragliders. Para- oh, power, okay. Powered paragliders. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, you pack them in a Pelican case, take them wherever you want. And uh, yeah, nope. one of the trips, I'm trying to go to Africa and fly. Nope. Oh, I mean, I would die those? in Africa rather than die here, but yeah. nope. <laughs> That's cool. Like, if I die in Africa... It better be by lion, leopard, or elephant. Yeah, you, oh got, you got to have a story, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe we give Thomas a few years. He'll get it on video when it happens. <laughs> um, You recently, I mean, not to, not to digress or whatever, but it's kind of a polarizing thing, but you've been doing a lot of the airsoft stuff too uh, as of late. 
is that something that you got into because of your kids or is it something you have kind of had on the radar for a while i think we've you know on the gun industry uh, gun industry side we've always had that that magpul i mean we had pts at Warner magpul now which is its own you know thing what was that was that airsoft yeah it was it was called magpul at pts that uh oh training sort of yeah it was kind of an airsoft training thing we're trying to make it more and of course it was still a little taboo then you know i don't think the the technology was as good as it is today or the realism of it, but it was it was pretty good. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's why we started doing the ACRs and stuff like that, and and uh, and then yes, as I progressed, you know, whether you know you start running into a lot of agent or teams that that in agencies that don't run airsoft for training because they can't afford sims. Right. Right. So, I mean, nowadays you can go buy a a damn Glock 19 or Glock 19X or whatever you want a Sig, a freaking Beretta, and you can train with it, and they're very realistic. So, yeah. you know, I I. In today's world where um, airsoft is growing, mill simulations is growing, uh, their industry is growing, products are growing. It's, I mean, dude, you can probably, 30% of our cons, uh, of our uh, e-commerce market is probably airsofters. Yeah. So really? we started to pay attention to that. And we're like, wait, this is actually a huge market. Do you, do you have a way to, like, capture that data or analyze it? Or how, how, how are you sure of that? We do. Um, through a lot of code, my CTOs were really good with that and, so and tracking where, that seeing stuff. Seeing where it's coming from, mm-hmm. the oh, visits yeah. and all. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because those, I mean, the, the little bit that I know about it, at least on that Milsim side, those dudes are wearing real cries, oh, like yeah. cry stuff. Like, they're wearing legit gear they're not getting the what everyone expects like the chinese knockoff airsoft stuff they're getting they're buying our stuff yeah it's not so interesting i mean you know my only experience really is uh, i've got a few airsoft guns but when aiden was five he wanted to learn to shoot four or five and so i got him an airsoft mp7 because you could shorten the stock to where it fit him and, and the, at the time, the MP7 Airsoft was even a little smaller than the real one. Mm-hmm. But all the controls, it looked real, it felt real, and all the controls were the same. So, you know, all, well, all the controls. So that was yeah. Aiden? Aiden, my son, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. that's funny. My, my son, Hayden, his first, Hayden. his first airsoft gun was an mp7 oh it was old tokyo yeah. marie and he used to go yeah. around shooting the wasp nest out of the corners of the house oh, in colorado great. and he would just juice them until they all died yeah and that, awesome. that made him accurate yeah, well just, i mean like yeah. that's i mean that's a, a like i don't even know the word i'm looking for but kind of like case in point like the well, training thing like you, you know the thing is when they're little gun. kids it seems okay but you know our industry being so tactical and everybody being such assholes like airsoft is considered lame but for my kid, I wanted there to be all the real things, just right. not necessarily the real consequences till mm-hmm. he, he was familiar with it. So we did cowboys and Indians, you know, which they probably don't even make anymore. You can't call them <laughs> yeah, that. What do we that call anymore. them, Thomas? Indigenous. Cowboys and indigenous people? Indigenous toys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did those, and I'd just color code it and right. show him, and he could shoot, you know, like yellow but not red or vice versa. Right. And it's awesome. And... And so he did that. And I remember he swept me with it twice. And so then he couldn't shoot for like two days or whatever his punishment <laughs> yeah. was. And, but you know, put on the glasses. Well, we lived in the city in Atlanta. And so we'd do it on the back porch, you know, right, right there in the city. And he could do it. And then, you know, we did that for a few months. And my man knew how to, he's like the safest dude handling firearms now. Right. And it's like to him, he just wanted to shoot the little plastic figures. Yeah. And he could only do it if he followed these rules. And then, you know, then the next year... 
he shot a deer the next year. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was like a real practical, safe way to train him with firearms. Yeah, that's a great. And yeah. you're seeing that a lot more now. And I think yeah. that's why that market, that market is growing. Um, and, yes, you have the bill simmers that are uh, kind of leading the charge on the yeah. experiential side. Because I just got back from Playas, New Mexico. We did a, a big airsoft thing down there with the American Milsim guys, and there were seven, almost 700 people. Yeah. Vendors everywhere, um, and it was basically 350 people against 350 people in an old base housing neighborhood. You're t- I mean, you're talking probably 500 houses. 700 people that were fighting. And full gear, full equipment. I mean, do some of these oh, dudes Oh, I look thought like, you meant just attending a show. Like, no. 700 they, people. Oh. They locked down a whole, old like, you know, base housing on a military base. That's um, so cool. And you... You just, you got missions. I mean, you have your EUDs or your phones on their chest. You know, the guys are running JTACs and stuff. And you can mark everybody and see your teams. And you can move people. It's a, and you're running, you know, everybody's on comms. I'm talking 12-year-old kids with A&P VS-31s on. And I'm like, wait, where'd you get yeah, that? Yeah. You know? yeah. So he's like, who's asking, old man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've hey. seen like them bringing in little birds and stuff. Yeah. Like, they'll, I saw they'll do scraping runs Jesus. through there. They got technicals with well, 50 cows on. I mean, I'm sure given the, I mean, our gun culture here is so different than most of the rest of the world. But in most of the rest of the world, you can own this stuff. So I'm sure the market, I mean, the money has to be so huge. It's huge. That. Well, yeah. one of our one of our bigger distributors is a, a company called Evic. You, know, you ever heard of Evic? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, Evic chain, he's uh, the owner, and he was always like, Travis, you got to come out to Long Beach and check out my facility. I'm like, okay, sure. I'll, another airsoft shop. I don't, you know, I'm good, but I'll be there right when I get it. So I went out and did a screening for a film. And uh, I said, you know what, I'll stop by. And I pull in, and I'm like, what the? I was like, what is, this is not, this is EVIC? I was like, this can't be just EVIC. And it was a hundred and something thousand square foot of distribution space, all automated, <laughs> everything, you name it, dude. It's like an Amazon for Airsoft. So I'm like, I'm sorry That's I so didn't take cool. you serious. Yeah. And then I start looking at our numbers and data here, and I'm like, there's a big market. Let's look into it more. So we started going out doing the shows, doing the doing the, the, the battles and you start to see these kids and you go up to them and you say, Hey man, what do you uh, so what do you do this? And they're like, Well one day I want to join the military. One day I want to be a cop and I'm like, this is potentially the future. And so they're out here running with I mean there was SF dudes out there, there were SEALs out there running around. Some of these guys that will, that are operational will go and play airsoft on the side for fun. I mean, we got M203s that are launching, tagging rounds like 300 yards. And I'm like, and detonating on people's heads. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then nighttime Jeez. comes and you, you switch on the nods. And it's all day, all night. And man, my feet and my back hurt so bad after that. <laughs> I was like, dude, I forgot about this. So they're it's getting so a cool. real fun yeah. experience, simulation of, of combat. And then they'd ask us guys, military to come in and like organize and, and create the, the, you know, the objectives, task organization, yeah. and come up with contingencies. All right, here's what's going to happen. So it's ran like a military event. It's pretty fun. That, that's so cool because I think about, okay, so you grow up, you want to be in the military. You can join at 18. You know, I mean, I think it's like – all the car crashes for kids at 16. Like, why don't we start, like my kids all started to learn to drive when they're like six and seven years old. Cause on our farm, mm-hmm. you know, we had roads, they could drive. I started teaching them to drive. It's like, it's gotta be way better for them to learn very young than like you put them on the road at 16 and expect them to be okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you start teaching these kids when they're young, if it's a, it's a fun way to do it, going to be way better at a lot of things, a lot of tactics when, they're old enough to join. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a way to just, I think that there's a huge disconnect with the education of firearms in general in the, in the country. And I think that's where a lot of the, the quote unquote problems stem from is that lack of education. And 
like you just said, you can start educating kids on just proper handling of firearms and you don't have those consequences with them and you can just start drilling. Like, I think it's, I get some of the, some of the negative feelings, I guess. Like, I guess there are, there's every group's going to have those. Everybody's going to call everybody a freaking gamer, dude. Right. Right, So here's my problem with that. Whether you're, I mean, I've been a big Ipsit guy, three gun guy in my life. I've been an airsofter, you know, because I want to now understanding the markets and and developing products with people and having fun with it with the kids because it's a huge bonding experience for me and my boys go out there. You know, he's running nods through a, you know, crappy environment buildings. I mean, these, these environments are like Syria. They're like rubble, man. The buildings are destroyed. There's rebar sticking out. There's no manhole covers on the sewers. And at night, you'll see people literally disappear and the ambulance is coming and there's shit on fire. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I'll sit there with my kids and, and tell them, look, you're not allowed to pick up an airsoft gun or a real gun. And, and they're very proficient now. Um, matter of fact, my youngest boy took my honey badger. That's his favorite gun now. So he uh, um, he keeps it by his bed. Probably yes, your yes, smartest dude. kid. Yeah, yeah, he's smart. Um. The other mother boy, MP5 SD. So I'm like, you need to watch these videos with Kevin. <laughs> 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 yeah. But I don't let them shoot a gun until they can recite firearm safety rules to me verbatim and then tell me why. Like, can you tell me why that rule exists? Right. And they're like, well, of course. I don't want to aim anything, laser beam theory. And they'll start, ext- I'm like, okay, you're good. Go ahead and shoot the gun. Um, and I'll still make them do that just like I'd make students do on the range every day to, you know, have accountability for your actions. Um, but yeah, that, that market is huge. I think it's going to grow exponentially this year, um, because of the ammo prices and everything else. Cause now guys are like, Hey, I can't afford ammo. What the hell do I do? When I'm, like even guys today or cops are saying, I can't, we don't get budget. We don't get ammo. I can't teach or I can't shoot. So what do I do? And I was like, well, look, man. You know, some of these airsoft guns are very realistic. Like, um, you know, if I'm running a Glock or something, I put my sights on it. I put my light on it. You can put all the lasers, whatever you need on it. And you can stipple it and everything if you want to. And I can run that gun just like a real real gun. Um, and then I'll take, a, like, a USPS, you know, medium weight box or something and set it on a target stand and just sit there and work drills in my garage and shoot those boxes. And then they retain the BBs and then you recycle them and you're not spending any money. So, you know, when I'm when I'm sharing information with people, um, I'm like, hey, look, there's it's it's awesome to have resources, right? Uh, but like when I first started, I didn't have a CNC machine, I didn't have molding equipment, I didn't have sewing machines, but I had a dental floss and a needle, I had a block of clay and a sculpting tools, and so I was resourceful. And so we're starting to see that now when you're trying to accomplish a goal. Well, if I don't have time, money, or you know education or management and all these things the experience well those are all beautiful resources that i wish i had right and but when i don't have that do you have resourcefulness creativity determination right i don't have any money but i got determination and creativity i'm going to build something sculpt it from clay and i'd go to companies like hey can you make this and they're like sure we yeah we can work with you on that and then next thing you know i'm i'm being told well here's your moq i'm like i can't afford that and then somebody's copying in. I'm like, wait, I can do it. Start looking around and stuff. I think I had a fork one night. And I was like, how the fuck is a fork made? I can figure this out. So I went out and bought a CNC machine online, put it in my garage, wired it up. I was an electrician as a kid. And I sat there and I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to turn this thing on. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a buddy it's come funny. by and he taught me. And next thing you know, four days later, I was holding a, holding an ASAP plate in my hand. And then like a couple of days later, I hold, held the first revision of a bad lever in my hand. I was like, dude, I can do this. And that was that sparked a lot of. Lot well, of stuff. I mean, I, I think it's you know entrepreneur programs have become very popular with universities, and 
you know, if you want to do it, if you have that tenacity, like y- you can do it, like in this country especially, but you got to want it. I mean, it, it's easy when it's easy. Um, well, that's the difference between self-employed and entrepreneurs, in my opinion, is you got to want it. And when you get stuck, I mean, how many self-employed people out there are bitching about government stimulus checks? Yeah. Well, then you're not self-reliant. You're not a true entrepreneur in my my eyes. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to get it done. And, and, you know, no matter what the, the motivation is, and I don't know, it's probably like left-handed people or whatever. It's probably 10% of the people are entrepreneurs. And you just have it. it it's like, and, and for whatever your motivation is, like for me, I, I've said it a ton. Like I did not want to work in a factory like my parents. And so anything short of dying was acceptable mm. for me. Mm. And so you're just not going to hit when you're, de- I mean, you know, when you're determined to do something, there's not that many barriers. No, there's not. Well, like I mean, you hit all, you fail a ton. You hit all kind of dead ends, but you know, there's not that many barriers. Like you're going to find a fucking way. Mm-hmm. And if you have that attitude, I mean, it gets, it, it's easy. Um, y- yeah, but I think a lot of people don't get it, you know, and I, I deal with it, I think with marketing a fair amount too, or creativity in general. It, you know, I know lots of brilliant people that aren't creative and you can't fucking teach them. You could teach them anything in the world. They could learn to do brain surgery, but you can't teach them to be creative. Yeah, I've I've actually looked into this quite a bit, and I started studying neuroscience about about twelve years ago or something like that. And uh, when I was telling you about my son being diagnosed with autism, and uh, turns out he wasn't. Three psychologists diagnosed him with it. We drug yeah. drugged him, put him put him through hell, put us through hell, and then we realized once we actually went to a brain mapping psychologist and did spec scans, they said, "Look, here's the good news: your son is absolutely, without a doubt, not autistic." And I'm like, "What?" I just moved my entire family and my business from Colorado to Arizona. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean, number three? He's like, look, he's extremely attention deficit. He's firing on the right side of his prefrontal cortex, and we're going to fix this. And when they fixed that, I started realizing, man, we can – how many kids out there are di- misdiagnosed right. and aren't being treated in, in, you know, incorrectly? Well, um, I mean, you were married <clears throat> to a doctor. You know, it's um, – and I'm sure she's a wonderful doctor. Yeah, she was a wonderful doctor. Yeah, wonderful doctor. <laughs> but um, – She's a great mom. I bet, well, with that being said, I bet she put a lot more effort into if it were one of your kids sick or had a skin issue since she's a dermatologist than a random dude off the street. I wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have her at that time to say, hey, look, this is what we're going to just medicate. We'll figure out what happens. And if it doesn't work, we'll take it off. I'm like, okay, because I'm thinking if I give him a pill, it's going to ruin his life. And that wasn't the case. Um, And then we started, you know, diving into that and then started thinking differently about how we think instead of just taking that information and going, all right, that's what it is. It's like, no, let's keep hunting. And then the, then the fight was on and then it just grew from there as far as, um, you know, all the different aspects and the medical, I went to as many medical conferences as I could to try to learn stuff. I just got motivated by this, you know, and studied, um, brain science until I figured out I was a little messed up, had a TBI, um, when I was denied for it through the VA, of course, and I uh, had to go back and show spec scans after like three years. They finally granted me like, hey, and the last thing I want to admit is I got a TBI, right? I want to be, I want to have good integrity of myself. I want to be whole. I want to be complete. I want to be perfect like this table. You know, I want to be strong. And, uh, and I wasn't. And so that, that really changed my life and slowed me down quite a bit to enjoy it more, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. And, and balance, man. Life's got to be a balance. Uh, you know, and now it, it allows me to slow down. Not because I'm impulsive, man. I mean, you've, you've probably seen me impulsive before. 
um, you know, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do, but I'm just going to do it, right? Like, I remember giving that speech down at AAC with a freaking... Oh, the silencer shoot. Shit, that... (laughs) They were How Drake, did that wreck so many people? Dude, Drake's like, you got to get up there and say something. I'm like, I don't know what to say. And I just started talking out my ass. And then I look back and I'm like, dude, I should have studied a little bit more before <laughs> I said that. I pissed a bunch of people off. But uh, but I, I, what I, what I, no. my point was is I, <laughs> I'm disruptive. Everybody knows that. Um, but I, I started to realize that there's something to this, like, why can't certain people, like you were saying, do they can visualize but they can't implement and i started working with a company called the Col- the colby foundation or colby corporation out of uh, phoenix and they have something called uh cognition conation instead of cognition like hey this is our prefrontal brain we're sitting here looking on the frontal side that's me designing being creative focusing on something um but then they go into the instinct what you're born with you're not born with knowledge you're not born with cognition you know you have to learn knowledge experience and discovery and so they break it down pretty cool and in a nutshell it's like instinctually we have four action modes fact finding how you gather and share information following through how you systemize organize or arrange things quick starting how you deal with risk and uncertainty and implementing how you handle spaces and tangible things and the cool thing about it which pisses a lot of people off you can only score high in two categories so you got to be okay with the rest, mm. which is kind of cool because then you know what you're good at and know what you're not good at. And uh, so, like, I'm a... It's a great talk to Mel Ego because, yeah, I think it, it's a difference in, all, in, in even a lot of entrepreneurs, like, understanding what you're not good at and not controlling. Yeah, and that's, that's I think, where I started realizing, man, I need, to, I need to be really careful in this space. I need to get help in that space because that's not me. You know, I'm not the tax guy. I'm not the financial dude like like you are. You know, I'm 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 more the I'm I'm a risk taker. Um, you know, I'll speak before I think sometimes, and that's why I created this this you know slogan: "Thinkers before shooters." Because right. I it's for my own personal lessons. It's like, dude, slow down, man. You want to go fast, slow down. You want to be more accurate, slow down. You want to talk better, speak better, slow down. Um, and I realized being a an average fact finder, a two in follow through. Uh, which means basically I'll get around to it, you know, yeah. uh, which is typical of an entrepreneur um, that's doing thousand things and they're not really focusing on one. I'm a seven and quick start, which I love risk and uncertainty. I have to have stakes on the table from whether it's a shot timer or I might tell my account like, hey, man, I need you to take this $30,000, put it in a holdings account for me. And if I don't if I don't accomplish this, this build, this project, this marketing thing by six months from now, I need you to send that to a charity I can't stand. Like, I'll do that. I'll put the stakes on the table. Um, and then what starts to happen, for example, my uh, we when I found this, my ex was like, hey, the laundry room light bulb's out. I'm like, yeah, I saw it. Next day, hey, are you seriously not going to change the light bulb? I'm busy. I'll get around to it. Next day, hey, what the hell? Next two weeks, I'm like, well, now we're in a fight. I'm like, it's a stupid light bulb. You got a window in there. You can still see. That's the quick starter talking. And he, she's like, well, I'm going to call an electrician if you don't change that. I'm like, why would you call an electrician and change the light bulb? She goes, well, I thought you were an electrician. I was like, damn it. So then I go to our psychologist that we hired for our sports performance stuff my, my, at HSP when we first started. And uh, she goes, look, all you have to do is give him a timeline. And I'm like, wait, what, why, are the, why are the ladies getting it up on a guy here? And she says, no, that's what you need, Travis. You're a quick starter innately, so you need a clock to race against. So if somebody says, hey, you got to change that light bulb in four hours, guess what I do? Get the light bulb changed. Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> I look at my watch, and I go, all right, what can I go do in four hours? 
Oh, okay. So now what happens is the individual, there's stakes on the table now, right? Right. Um, now my performance for everything else that I'm going to do, maybe I'll run down to the shop, build something. Maybe I'll go finish editing a video. Maybe I'll go work on some new business model. Maybe I'll talk, make, make some calls. And what happens is you, you ramp up the things that you wouldn't have done by having this timeline in the back of your head where a lot of people would think it's stress. And when we brain map, when we look at all the brain data and, and, and information, what your alpha, beta, and delta, and theta waves are doing, when you're stressed out as a quick starter, you're actually flatlined. There's no stress in your brain. But if you ask me to read, write, comprehend, which I can do, everybody can do these tasks. Everybody can take risks. It just means that if you're a high fact finder, you're going to find more information before you go and take the risk. Mm. Um, for me, I'll take the risk before I find the information. Um, so that's where I'm like, okay, I'm good at starting things. I'm good at building things because I'm a seven and implementer as well. So I can see and, and understand how things work or designed. I can potentially build it myself. Um, not as good as Kevin, of course, but I'm working on it. And so... Well, you're a god in the industry, dude. So with that, oh. I oh, can. You said you're a guy in the industry. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> a guy. I, I miss her. Guy. We get my volume <laughs> up here. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna turn it down a little more because that felt good. But no, you, I mean, I've always respected you, man. You're a genius when it comes to this stuff, and and uh, and so it's 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 good to see that. And then I can look into it. Okay, I can kind of understand why he did this. This is impressive, you know, or anybody's stuff. And and I always I always have that respect as an implementer where somebody that can only visualize, they don't understand that respect of, of the build process. Oh, dude, that that's kind. You know, it's it's I appreciate that. You know, it it's hard. I think I realized at a very young age when I started this that the things I wanted to do took people smarter than me and so like building a team and listening to them that's always been very critical mm -hmm. um but always kind of steering the ship and i would tell people because i also have an ex-wife and i think the dumbest adult i've ever known was her mother <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and i say that for two reasons one to take a cheap shot which I, i'm <laughs> fucking okay with okay. the second is she was brilliant in a lot of ways and she would have these ideas because she lived a very modest, poor, kind of white trash life. And about once every two years, she would say stuff to me. And I was like, that was fucking brilliant. Mm. And then you realize over time, everyone has really great ideas. But who's willing to put in the work to accomplish that? And I'll give you two examples and we'll go back. So one, she had this idea. She even named it as All About the Edges. And it were brownies because everyone likes the edge piece. And so it was like done in cubes Shoot to me. where they would all have bites. And now you can buy them in the grocery store. I've got one. Okay. So her, 20 years ago, she told me this. Wow. I was like, that sounds fucking delicious. We should do that. <laughs> and the second one was um, she cooked a lot and would burn herself occasionally. And she wanted to do band-aids called burn-aids. And they had Neosporin in the Band-Aid, so you could just stick it right on and keep on cooking rather than having to do, like, Neosporin and go yeah. get a Band-Aid and do all that. She wanted it, like, impregnated. And I was like, you should do these things. And I would have funded both of them. She's too fucking lazy to do it. Or she didn't believe in herself, whatever the thing was. But this was, like, sixth grade education, dumbest woman I knew, a brilliant idea every couple of years that could have made her, like, right. incredibly wealthy. Yeah. 
So, so there are these things, but it, it does take action. You can't just sit behind a fucking desk and have a good idea. Right, Doesn't right, work. right. And I, I think that's where that failure comes in. So there are people out there that are, are good at visualizing some idea like those two products, yeah. but they don't have the ability to implement or build the structure to do it. Yeah, because she even named them both. They yeah. were great names. Yeah. And that's where I think it takes somebody else to go, hey, we'll take that. And but, You know, like I've had engineers, um, you know, or ID guys that you're just like, dude, are you, are you going to actually build something here you know and they're like well i'm working on it i'm trying to get the specs on the inline rotary girder down and the screw here i'm like no you dude we got like 40 projects you need to be tapping into right now yeah as fast as we're growing i do that a lot it's like hey we can analyze this shit for two years Mm -hmm. but we're all pretty smart here and there's probably three reasonable solutions pick one and fucking move on right like we can get past the hurdles yeah but Indecision is, is really the enemy of everything we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think that conation, that instinctual self, prevents that resolve to just do something about it. So I, I try. That's what we teach in our classes. Because like, if I got a guy that's an implementer, he can see the space and tangible. He's like, "Hey, can you show me that again?" I'll walk up and I'll literally show it to him again. I'll touch, feel, shape, and then versus the guy that's like, "Hey, I don't get this," and I'm like, "All right, you're a fact finder. Put the gun away." All right, what was the first step? What was the second step? Oh, that's what I forgot. Okay, what was the third step? Boom. All right, try those three steps. You don't even have to show them. So we've, we've really been able to, to like make our training processes super efficient by understanding the human element That's there. cool. Jay, this might be the argument to having kids. Like you have three kids, they're all fucking different. That's and right. you, have, you have to motivate them and discipline and do everything different ways. Like you have to know them right. to understand how to like, you know, really cultivate everything for them because all all my kids it's like they're polar opposites yeah the middle one is incredibly brilliant she can do anything in the world and her motivation is to be liked by everyone and it's like oh my god that's crippling like if i had that holy fuck like (laughs) we'd be on government assistance little girl and then you know like my youngest one and brutally honest for a kid and does not give a fuck if you like her or not like she's just a total opposite, hmm, but yeah. she's just tough as nails. And like, you don't like her. I mean, she get probably gets that. I don't know. Maybe it's from me and her mother. Definitely for me. Like, so what? All that does is motivate me. Yeah. And I've seen studies out there where shows that like my youngest is like that as well. They always, they go, wait, what's the older boy doing? What's the older brother doing? And I'm going to go find my own independent path. Yeah. And so they'll say, fuck it. You know, I don't care. Or like they're all, I was like that as a kid, my older brother, five years older than me. He was the perfect guy, the athlete, the dual master's degree guy, FBI agent, Marine. He's a Colonel still 27 years perfect on paper sounds like an asshole he's an asshole he is an asshole um, i love him to death but he's an asshole and he's miserable i mean i hope he doesn't not me I hope, I hope he listens to this and freaking you know <laughs> and because i'm not i'm not miserable i'm happy being a quick starter i'm happy being all over the place i'm happy having 40 things going on at one time i'm happy to just it, shut it, it, it is down strange and knowing there's different people like you and i are comfortable in that like, I, I used to think when I was younger, oh, if I can accomplish this. Like, no matter what the goal is, if I could have my own house, if I could accomplish whatever thing that's going to make me happy. And then you realize, like, you know, you grow up, and it's like, none of that makes me happy. Nope. And what I know now, you, you know, which I'm still refining that constantly and reserve the right to change my mind, is I'm a product guy. I like innovation and that to me is what drives me so everything else operations all these other things that i can't stand it's a necessity 
then it makes that part of the business just as valuable as what I like mm-hmm. because it's what funds it. And, you know, we have to pay attention to those parts of the business because the innovation, the marketing can get you so far, like you got to produce fucking product. You know, there's just so many aspects. And as the business grows, like I'm horrible at personal relationships. I just am. And like I try, but now I understand my personality a little better. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, because to me, it's I, I, I don't I don't know. I'm just bad at it. But. It's necessary for us to have, you know, like a culture that's inclusive or all these things for the company to be successful. And sometimes, like, I'm a detriment to things we're trying to do, and I want to get out of them. I get You know, and the end of the day, because what I want to do is you used to think, you know, when you're young and you're poor, you think, oh, man, if I can make a bunch of money, then I'm just going to retire and go, like, whatever the fuck you're into. Go go to the beach every day and go, like, kite surfing or whatever the hell you do. (laughs) And, And it's like, nah, man, you're 35, you make a bunch of money. Like, fuck, I'm a product guy. So I got to have a company because you don't design products like taking your kids to school and picking them up every day. Mm-hmm. Like, that sucks. Like, I'd rather be working for minimum wage. Yeah, and good point. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. No, we had a guy that uh, was an engineer that couldn't work with the other engineers. and he There's was, a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of dickheads in that mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. yeah, and they... We, we were about to fire him, and then was like, wait a minute, let me do an experiment. I'm going to put him over with the IP attorneys and just have him do research. That's it. That's what the guy loves. He's a huge fact finder. He saved, oh, he personality saved, thing. saved yeah, us millions of dollars. Millions oh. of dollars instantly where we were about to fire his ass. So that's why I look at my kids. I look at people, my you know students, employees. Everybody's cognitively, psychologically tested at work. Um, not because we're trying to figure out who they are, what's inside their brain. It's like, no, we need to have a good working collaboration here. You know, I want to be able to bounce things off. I walk into my CFO's office, who his desk is absolutely perfect, and everything's squared, and I'll mess with him and knock it all out of the way. I'm like, hey, how's it going today? And he's like, because I'll say, well, how the fuck are you getting any work done with a clean desk like this? Right. And then he'll walk into my office and be like, how is he getting any work done with a messy desk like this? So that's where the conflict starts to happen. Um, so I think that's where, like with the kids stuff, they all have to be taught differently, like you're saying. You can't just say, this is the way you're all going to do it, and too bad if you don't like it. I mean, it. employees are the same way because there are ones you can push, and there are others that curl up like little fucking babies and can't take it, so you got to handle them differently. Yeah. And Especially nowadays. Yeah. I'm yeah. right here. I don't know if you forgot, <laughs> but I'm right here. Oh, you're, oh yeah. <laughs> you're good you're, for You're the you're exception. Right <laughs> you're, you're, you're awesome. Yeah, it's up flying drones. Every, is, yeah. you, you're great at everything else. That you fucking suck at. But we're working on it. Yep, we're so working. I got your Actively. back. We're in there. It was like, I got your back, but you got to put in the effort. And mm-hmm. I saw some footage. You're like, you know, you're, you're mending some wounds there. So we're, so we're, I'm all right. we're figuring it we're out. We're cool. We're cool. We're cool. I mean, you get how many three strikes in baseball? So Something like that. I'm going I'm to <laughs> give you two. <laughs> no, you know, the, the problem, like, psychologically or with employees, it, it's I've been very – very blessed my entire life to be surrounded by a lot of smart people and the biggest thing that drives me insane because probably like you a a willingness to risk and to to just start is really smart people that do not want to fail and to them in their mind and into their brain map that's a a a failure Mm -hmm. of any kind is some sort of indication of they're not qualified or they're not smart or 
And that is so fucking ridiculous for like an actual entrepreneur. Like I fail so <laughs> much, mm-hmm. but it's just like you don't give up. You make educated guesses. You don't do like crazy shit. Well, I think some of those people are super, again, the follow through section, they're so high follow through. They're so systemized and organized and they, they're afraid to take the risk. So therefore they are not going to ever step outside the box. You know yeah. I mean? which, which makes them far less valuable than they could that was be a plug, very that was easily. A plug for the shirt. Think about <laughs> the box. <laughs> Innovate. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's sad to me. I mean, my first employee at Advanced Armament, one of the smartest guys I've ever known. I wouldn't hire him for minimum wage. Mm. Now, it, it, it's like he's afraid to fail. He's afraid to be wrong. So it's just like crippling to him. I think that's something we're losing is the, the ability to be vulnerable in today's yeah. society. I think it's a, a lack of fucking manhood. Like, it's just like it goes against everything, especially tribal warrior root type stuff. Like, dudes are, are afraid to admit when they're imperfect, right? Um, I was really bad about that. I was very stubborn, um, very disruptive, uh, in denial a lot of times of my own experiences or things, whether it was, you know, business or I was in a shooting or something. I was always in denial and and always thought I had the right answer. And I was always full of myself until I started to get out in the world and, and experience failure, experience pain, uh, you know, the forging of that knife that makes you hard and sharp that a lot of people think is just trauma. Um, that's, that's gotta change. And then, then the, the problem with not being vulnerable, I'm not talking about weakness, I'm talking about the, the courage to be imperfect, the um, the ability to take care of yourself first so you can therefore take care of others. I never did that. It was always others, 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 and then I'm like, all right, good job, guys. And then all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I'm all by myself. Hey, can somebody come back and help me? And then I'm next thing you know, I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole with stress or whatever it is. Um, like the whole transition, at, you know, out of Magpul to this new company, I was just like, I would hit a stress bubble and my life just shattered, man. It was horrible. I lost my son over it. Um, I, I destroyed a family and, uh, and you know, you're going to come back from that. You got to realize that, that own up to that shit, be accountable, be a fucking man. And, uh, and next thing you know, that vulnerability turns into you going, I'm going to work on myself for now. I'm going to take that time. And then now that I have, I feel like I can I can give back so much to people. You know, that's, that's what so I'm trying awesome. to do in like the yeah. last six years. I, I think it, it's difficult because the unknown, you know, um, you know, like, like like whatever it is, you know, shit with my life or my company's similar situations to where the worst thing you can imagine happens and you think, oh, it's going to be terrible. And it's not really that fucking bad. No, the problem is it, it was bad because we resisted it <laughs> until we accepted it and realized, fuck, resistance is a precursor to suffering. Well, I, I think some of that, too, is I think I've realized is there's so much stress involved with uh, being outside of your comfort zone or, um, you know, uh, where you don't have control or where you don't know the answers. And I think once you accept that and understand, and I think a lot of that's kind of ego, um, and you can live there, it's like that's freeing. You know, for me, like in my personal life, whether it's my mug shots being online or whatever, like all my fucking mistakes, like, you know, you can think one thing, then it happens, and like, well, what was my fear? Okay, who are these people that I care about what they think? How does this actually affect my life? Oh, what really matters to me? Okay, my kids, my company. Okay, well, the company in six months doubled in size. My kids and I still fuck off chill every day, watching movies and skating and 
we're cool. Oh, so this like 22 year old kid that's got an Instagram account's got an opinion of me. Like, okay, that's cool. But uh, you know, so like, what's it matter? And and so you know, for for anything in life, like getting outside of your comfort zone. That, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing for me. Like you're into the the training and the products, and like I love the company, and we're building a company. But my personal life, like I love hunting now, and I think like I love hunting. You know, like real hunting, because it's an adventure. You can plan all you want. You don't know what's gonna happen, but you got to be able to react and respond. Like you got to be able to run and climb a tree. <laughs> you got to be able to pull the trigger. And, like, you, you don't know if it's going to be 900 yards or 9 yards. Like, you just don't know. Like, you got to press play gotta when hit, it happens. Got to hit record. You got you to hit it. You got – oh, yeah, record. Got to hit record. Oh, yeah, here we go. Oh, the buck. Oh, yeah, I did, mess up. You know, that's the difference. Yeah. Like, I mess up so much. Well, you got the bush buck. You got, you got <laughs> the other bush buck. Yeah, I mess up so much, and it's okay. But you got you got to be all right with it. What what made you transition in that? Like, well, why hunting all of a sudden? Can't shoot like people. big big. I mean, you've been doing this for can't a little shoot bit people. Now. Can't shoot people. Well, that's a good um, point. Yeah, I get that part. Yeah, I, I I I don't know. I mean, I will say like I grew up with non gun owning, non hunting, living in a city. So so there, it, it's very different for for me, and. um you know, I, I think one t- like a reason I'm in love with Africa right now. That, I mean, there's a multitude of reasons. Um, the adventure side is a huge side, but I can go there and I can spend two weeks. I can spend a month there, and life is so simple that it, it, it's like when you brought up meditation earlier. It's like meditation mm, in I was the sense. Say that I thought that was your meditation. Yeah, yeah, that it, it's very simple, and it's like okay, I kill this. Like all these employees get to eat steak tonight. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and um, you know, it's like uh, I like testing the guns. I like killing shit. I like you know testing the ammo or new cartridges we're developing. I like testing our products, the guns. I like testing myself. Um, There's so many aspects. Being out in nature, I love animals. Which to someone who's ignorant, they don't understand the idea of conservation. And having to, you know, shoot animals and under, you know, understand this. Um, but I love being out in nature, seeing animals. Like, there's so many aspects to it that I love. Like, th- there's not a lot of downside to me. The downside is, um, at least where I am in Africa now, like, it's target rich. It's free range. And there's, y- you know, if you got a place and, like, I had a farm in Georgia. And basically all we could shoot is white-tailed deer. I could call coyotes, two species of animals. That's all I shot. And white-tailed deer, you got two and a half, three months you can shoot them. Mm -hmm. In Africa, on one piece of land, we can have 25 or 30 animals to hunt, which we can see on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so whether I want to hunt or I want to ride around, just, you know, that's kind of the aspect. And then being out and seeing, like, the wonder of the fucking world. Yeah. yeah. Like so many people are afraid to be away from home and I've never had an adventure travel. Um, you know, and I've been, I, I don't know how many countries I've been to, but probably more than 50. And there's never an instance where I don't learn something that doesn't stick with me. Mm-hmm. 
that I could never get here from reading a, well, I mean, reading's good for you, but like reading or watching a video or seeing the photos. Um, so it just really en- enriches my life, I think, in perspective and point of view. And, and I don't know the other reasons it brings me happiness, but those are all the things like trying to be honest that I like yeah, that's good. is it's, it's freeing. It's, it's open. It's a vacation. I get, I love guns and shooting. Um, I like to hunt. I, I you know, it, and it's satisfying for me for us to go out, hunt something, you know, whether it's easy or it's a hard stalk, we shoot something, uh, you know, we gut it there, we go back, we skin it and we eat the back straps like two hours later. Like I enjoy that. Yeah. I hear I, I, out of all that. I hear one word is appreciation. I don't know why it stands out to me. I'm like a weird dig word guy. Um, and I, I think because you said like a lot of people are afraid to be away from home and I yeah. used to call this away sickness instead of homesickness. Oh, yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's something, I mean, I, that's for me, my personal experience is I always had to be overseas and like different, like, you know, Africa is really yeah. a, an amazing, amazing place. Um, I've got some deep like experiences and roots there and, um, uh, and then just traveling the rest of the world as well. You start to realize how much you appreciate back home because of what we have, right? And so when I come back it here, it makes me sick at this point. Yeah, and I think that's that's I'm, I'm kind of in between that as well. Where I would come back home in the military from a deployment, and then I would sit back, get lazy, and you know, have everything I possibly want in life. It's and an abundance. Turn into a glutton and typical American, right? And you're like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I need to go back in that horrible war torn. Or just that that Zen place of nothingness. Like well, war torn or just Zen, but you got to feed yourself and find some water. It is all yeah. like very simplistic. Like if it's it, it it like combat wise, like you have to accomplish an objective, stay alive. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're hunting to eat and stuff like that, it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I know for my father, like growing up in the time that he lived with us, was he had to have control of everything so home was very comfortable for him home is less comfortable for me like i like it yes i feel at home here i feel at home in africa like daily life you know owning a company is stressful like i only own a company to do these things that i want to do all the other parts own a company stressful and i don't enjoy having children like when we're laughing and fucking off and we're either like cooking dinner together, watch a movie, we go skate, like whatever that thing is, great. The rest of it is fucking horrendous to me. <laughs> and, you know, like when I'm in Africa, I don't give a fuck if we're 30 miles from home. We run out of gas and if we don't make it back, we're going to fucking die. Way easier for me. It's, it's such an easy life. It's like a well, simple one task when I'm here. There's 30 things a day I have to be like right. cognizant. I get, I get that. Yeah, and that that's stress. That was where being outside looking in, that's where I've always just assumed it was for I mean even for both of you, you guys are running companies, you have all these things to do day in day out. Can't speak to combat, can speak to hunting or whatever, but um when you're over there, you don't have to worry about a meeting or a phone call or whatever. Like you got one thing you're doing and you're you're, you're present. We're here like you said with all the the amenities that we have and all the different things going on it's super easy to get caught up in all that and you can think about eight million things a day but what else is, like you got one one thing you're doing and you're very present 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's easy. You think about, like, when I come into the office, Thomas stands up immediately, wants to ask me something. <laughs> yeah. Tori's got ten things. Chris, <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's like all this, and then I spend four hours there, and the one thing I went to do, I forget and don't remember till I came home. Right, yeah. And, and, and it sucks. And the kids are the same way. Like, I make them fucking promises, and then the shit happens, the school calls, you, you know, or whatever <laughs> happens, or some emergency <laughs> with a girl, like, whatever the thing is. And then the thing we're going to do, I forget. And I right. am the worst dad in the world because <laughs> yeah. I didn't fix That's like, the quick starter in you. Like you do so uh, much right. for everybody, for everything, company-wise, you name it, family. And then everybody's like, why can't you just get this done? I'm like, do you realize how much shit that I'm doing? <laughs> right. And they're like, well, you didn't follow through on this. I'm like, well, that's because I was seizing the moment elsewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the quick starter in us. Like we're still good at doing a lot of stuff. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, like you're, you're going to want to what most people would consider, hey, you're procrastinating. Travis, you're procrastinating. And I'm like, no, I'm just seizing the moment elsewhere. So that's my excuse now to to get away from that. But it works, you know, because Mm -hmm. I am actually seizing that moment to do something that is potentially more important than what that person that grabs you when as soon as you come in the office, because I get it. Um, It's, yeah, I'll show up at sometimes 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. I won't even get to my, my office to put my shit down until like two in the afternoon because I'm in all the different apartments and people are pulling me. And, and I love that. It's, it's not so if your asses are listening to my company, then, you know, don't stop doing that. But it does prevent me from getting my own stuff done, which is why I'll come in on the weekends. I'll be I'll, I'll be there two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's hard when you said balance earlier, like balance family and all these things, because, you know, you got a woman that wants attention. You got kids that need it yeah. you know you, you, you got work you got the home stuff you know so for me like any rational ideas would just i prioritize it so like you know for me i i've been fortunate to have a capability to make money so i don't ever hyper focus on money unless it shuts down the other parts of my life meaning okay company's going good it's going good then I want to do marketing, which I enjoy. I want to do innovation. I don't. I don't even want to hear about the other shit. Mm-hmm. Needs to go good though, and you, you know, and this it's the same thing with home. Like I don't, I haven't paid a bill of mine, and I don't know how long. Probably twenty years now, because no matter if I got millions of dollars in the bank or I got twenty. It's stressful for me. Like money is stressful. Like I didn't grow up with money. I don't enjoy that part of it. So for me, I would rather just focus on making money and living as normal a life as possible. And for me right now, like that seems crazy, like building a house in Africa. And I go there constantly, but like yeah, our normals are a little different. But th- but right. th- but I, I mean, I think over time, you know, this is my twenty eighth year in the industry, and I, I live a relatively normal life. For you know, like I've got like one house that's relatively normal like yeah, i drive not, a suburban right you're not driving around i, I wear just time. free clothes like yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you know like most of it is pretty normal so because it, it's like these other things are priority like i've always needed to afford school for my son and that was a priority and you know i want to hunt and i want to travel and i want adventure and so financially like that's my priority like i don't I don't need other things. I don't give a fuck about impressing my neighbors or other people with money. So, it, you know, you remove that, then it makes it very simple. 
yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, I think you've 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 done well. You've you've made a lot of money. We've we, you know I've made a lot of money, but I, I think we obviously realize just like everybody says, money doesn't make shit easier. It, it absolutely does not. It makes it harder. Yeah, so no, you said you got like eight. Like you can complicate your life with money and companies yeah. and possessions. Absolutely. Like, I want less things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got. I'm blessed to have a, an amazing crew of guys that can help me. I trust them, um, um, and we've we've been doing extremely well. And to the point where I'm not working in the business anymore, unless it's on the things that I want, which is marketing and innovation, right? And training. Um, you know, training's not a full time job ever for us. It's they we're on the road right now for six days. We'll be back, and then I'm back in the grind on the business for maybe a month or two, and then I might pop back out. And I've got an incredible staff of guys that I can trust to go out. And I just, I, I needed to get back on the road and teach. That's the only reason why I'm here. Otherwise, yeah. I, I'd be at home cramming and doing doing other stuff. Well, how, how much training do you guys do? We're doing about two to three courses a month. And then we have our, our lab in our Scottsdale training lab. We have a training simulations-based thing there where we do a lot of mixed reality stuff. And we do motion capture, biomechanics studies. We do neural feedback and brain mapping. We do ocular science studies. And we use simulators to uh, help us create the you know physiological responses and tracking people's heart rate and variabilities and stuff. So I've taken well, a science aspect. For? It's used for students. They'll come in and we'll, it's a, it's a perf- human performance lab for shooters. So, um, so is this, you, you get like cops, military or everybody, are these just everybody comes in. Huh. Yeah. Um, from the, from the, the husband and wife coming in and, and doing a, a, you know, first time running a gun, we can put them in there and set them up perfectly from the get go, uh, to tier one teams are coming in and, and doing assessments, you know, like human assessments and saying, Hey, look, we're tired of shooting. We want to know what we're doing right and doing wrong. Is and it essentially like when you go these places to get fitted for golf clubs or something they watch you swing the club and go hey your grip's fucked up it's this it's that or whatever it's it's a little more <laughs> i live in golf land in scottsdale oh yeah, yeah. Um, so i actually I'm a big golfer yeah i actually went into cool clubs and and checked out their like swing arc systems or biomechanics so they say that the coaches in there don't fuck they're yeah. doing <laughs> um, you know, because they're just trying to sell you a club, right? And and they're good. Don't get me wrong, but they're not kinesiologists. They're not people yeah, that yeah. we we hire. I've got kinesiologists on staff, and ocular scientists, psychologists. Um, you know, like, hey, we're designing an optic. How many optics companies do you know that have optical scientists working for them? If I'm going to build an optic for the human eye, you better understand understand how the eye converges and diverges and cicades and pursues and all the crap that all the complex complexities that happens with the human eye as you're looking through an optic or the ergonomics of a rail system or a stock right so that's where we'll take and and put that um you know the biomechanic studies and sit there and look at well what's the straightest lines that we can stay strong with with a grip like when you when they started doing like some of the straighter grips mm. right the reason why, you know, like the BCM stuff, you know, I, I developed the grip, the angle grips, the stocks and stuff we helped develop. And so we'll put that in our motion capture systems and go, hey, a 17% reduction in this grip is going to create the ability for my trigger control to be straighter, which means I have no tension in my trigger finger now. So now mm-hmm. I've taken out the tension because every time we had an old A2 grip that was really yes. kicked like this. Yeah. Well, your finger's down here. I need my finger here on the straight alongside the gun. Well, then other companies started coming out with, hey, straight grips. So you're, when you're doing PSD and you're walking, your wrist doesn't get tired. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about my wrist getting tired when I'm walking around. I care about it doesn't work when I'm shooting some asshole. So we started to develop that, and, and then we put the studies and the research behind it. And now you have a more mechanically efficient grip 
just like a stock oh, or a rail cool. system. So we do a lot of that testing and evaluation for companies there in Scottsdale. Well, well, the main question for me, you get a husband and wife come in. You evaluate them. So it, it, it is the end of this, hey, you shoot, you call 911. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> you know what? You don't need a gun. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of times. You, get, you give her two guns. You, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, a lot of times it's the dude. We end up saying, hey, dude, you need to just call 911 and stay out of this. Yeah, um, yeah women are resilient, man. I'll tell you what. We, we have our. Yeah, our, they have babies. <laughs> yeah, it's That's like true. they bring us into the world. So, which well, is kind of a funny story. Resilient. Like <laughs> a baby comes through that thing. <laughs> through what? Yeah. You can't say that anymore after <laughs> Chappelle, oh, yeah, Chappelle right. right? That's right. Chappelle, um, show, Chappelle, show. <laughs> so, like, for example, we had this one girl, Misty. She goes in there. But we have we have uh, threat fire systems. So when you get shot inside the 300-degree simulator that you're in, so everything's happening around you. It's all real Hollywood film. So when you shoot, there's zero latency on somebody. If you shoot them in the arm, they, they blow back. Shoot ahead, you'll see blood splatter. But it's it's pretty realistic. I won't let my kids in there because it'll it'll – probably traumatize them or create this um like uh, desensitization of violence you know what i mean yeah. so they uh but well, when you get hit you get hit with twenty five thousand volts so Ooh. it's a taser ride oh. so if you get shot there's I'm consequences shooting jay in the nuts <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> gonna fly a drone right into those things <laughs> well bam taser and she's up there she's blasting we hit her because she is in the wrong place one time like okay, what the fuck? we hit her again she doesn't move and we're like, okay, normally, I mean, I've I've hit the ground before. It's like take my legs out from under me kind of feeling. I've had dudes fly all the way across the stage and go through the screens and destroy a $600,000 system. Like, holy shit. And then she comes back, and I'm like, Misty, did you even feel that? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, so you, you did feel it did work, right? She's like, oh, yeah. I said, you didn't even budge. She goes, yeah, we bring you people into the world. She drops a gun on the desk and walks off. I'm like, what? Jesus. So yeah. we've noticed that, like women Hardcore. don't squeal. Yeah, I believe it. But uh, no, it's a fun, it's a fun consequence-oriented learning, and then we can sit there and put you right back in the lab. So we'll have grown-ass dudes like freaking out, sympathetic, and just shooting like crazy, like you see some bad dash cam footage. And then we'll say, okay, stop. And like, oh, I'm good. Let me try it again. Then we'll take them over to the neurofeedback systems, um, and then we'll start mapping them, and they'll start doing neuromuscular exercises, and they'll get their brain back to a parasympathetic state. You see them calming down, and then they go back in. Five minutes later, you see a completely different human being mm. by simply conducting mind architecture. And literally, that's like the brain mapping and stuff that we got into. And uh, and I think we need more of that. Like it's, it's especially for guys that are traumatized. Anybody that's traumatized, PTSD, TBI. Um, like my brain was all fucked up. I was I was firing so hard on the right side. I couldn't focus. I couldn't sleep for like s- almost eight years um, after a bad incident that I had, and I just could not shake it. And then next thing you know, I start mapping, and literally within two to almost three weeks probably about 10 15 sessions i was literally firing perfectly my maps were were right on again even though i still have the trauma um and you know the legions and the tears in the brain or the, the damage it's now i'm able to finally focus like i slept like a baby the first night i did it i got off of drugs and shit and i was like damn this is awesome i don't want to take the stuff and uh next thing you know i'm i'm a fully functional human being again and now i mean every day it's a full-time job for me because i'm pretty messed up um from muscle activation therapy, biomodulation therapy, neurofeedback, neuromuscular timing exercises, working with exos type trainers. Like, I got to do this shit almost three, four times a week. If not, I'll start falling apart now. 
So if I want to stay on the game, if I still want to stay, you know, which I am, I feel smarter, I feel more creative, I feel faster, more accurate than I ever have in my life at 46 years old uh, because I put in the work. I've spent a ton of money, a ton of research and time to try to fix myself so I can, you know, really go after that vulnerability aspect. And that way, when I do give back to others, I know when to stop. Hey, guys, nope, I'm not training this week. I got to go take care of myself. I'm going to go fly. I'm going to go do some work, go be with my kids, meditate. And uh, and I never did that earlier in my life. I just went, 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 went. And whatever took me with the wind, I went. And uh, I think it, it damaged me quite a bit. And there's a lot of people out there that still do that, and they just drop off and they die. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm glad I finally caught that. You know, and to be able to share that with other people now is, is really, awesome. really what I love doing. It's cool. What's it? I don't think I've seen the video. So you said there's there's a video of Travis online, like yeah, the is that tur- what you referred to earlier? Fifteen seconds. Oh, the 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 turkey shoot video. Yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Iraq. Yeah, yeah. two thousand four on a rooftop. That was when the siege of Najaf. It was a it was a pretty big deal. Um, uh, basically, the CPA and Najaf got surrounded. Uh, about fifteen hundred insurgents came down on it, and um, that's a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes. It was was known as the biggest insurgent assault in the history of the war. And, you know, we had a small team of dudes down there in Najaf. We get the call, hey, we're not going to make it to the night. Long story short, we're like, let's go. We jump in our little birds and freaking beat feet down there 70 miles south and um, went in. And next thing you know, we're fighting for two days. It was just probably about, I guess, maybe 20 of us. That's about it. And so we held on a fort. And I was the only guy with a sniper rifle. What would you have? A fucking Bushmaster uh, 20 inch um, sniper S- rifle SPR yeah, right with a Sur rail on it Leopold Mark IV um, and a and a two stage trigger in the thing so it was better was than an M4 and uh, and I was Word. the only guy with scope that day that so. scope too in the video I mean we talk about 20 MOA rails and or mounts and 30 that thing is kicked up like if you look at the video that thing is kicked up the front yeah. end is pointed way I don't know what how many MOAs that thing had. For some for some rise, but it's it's the it's that that remember that old sir rail that that arms used to make oh arms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it and goes over the the top of the receiver yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it slid down the top you know mm-hmm. the receiver assembly and uh, I think it was straight I don't think it had a cant on the rings or anything maybe not yeah um, it just looked like it was but that, it, it wasn't even my rifle I went into the ready room and said guys we got to roll we got dudes that are getting hit down there we got to support them and I looked down and I was like uh, I think I think the guy my horrible with names now fucking tbi <laughs> i i looked out and said, i think it was terry i said hey dude i need i'm gonna take that sniper rifle he's like go dude take it he goes hey here's my dope card here's what and i'm like okay okay got it i said zero down 100 and gotcha i'll figure it out so i'm not thinking you know and I, I run back to the airfield jump on little bird we throw as many frags and at4s pkm ammo as much shit as we could take and we just rip right in with with 12 of us six pilots six gunners and uh, we start coming in, taking fire. JDMs are hitting buildings all around us. And uh, we finally realized, well, we're in a shit. And so a F-16 was right above us dropping a bomb. And it came down. And I think it was a 2,000-pound JDM because when it hit, it was about probably 500 meters from our, our left flank. And it felt like your skeleton shook inside your body like you've ever been around a big explosion. And I thought the helicopter was getting shot down. And uh, we figured out what it was, and uh, we went in quick, 
gunshots going everywhere, bodies laying all over the place. And so we ended up saying, we're shutting down. We landed in a courtyard, and those rotor blades were probably a foot from each other is how tight we got them in there. Damn. It was tight. It was scary. Helicopter pilots, big balls, cowboys. All, all 160th dudes, contractors now. So, um, And my pilot's one of the lead Black Hawk Down Little Bird drivers, and that guy was just amazing. He's one of them Highline dudes. They're all crazy. Yeah, you know the guys that do the Highline arc. Oh, yeah. So they're all crazy, giant yeah. balls, and giant. all know they can do everything that yeah. they can't do. Oh, yeah. So we fought that for two days, and, uh, you know, it was about the, I think it was day two. I remember pulling out, I was a surveillance guy, so on the birds, I was, that's why I went over as a reconnaissance guy and started doing all the filming and intel gathering as we flew around, uh, route reconnaissance, and I always had a camera on my side, and I remember just saying, man, well, fuck, we're not going to make it to the night, and I'm going to turn this thing on and just let it sit there and, and just capture this in case somebody finds it one day. And uh, so we kept shooting, kept fighting, and uh, I don't—I fucking shot probably 800 rounds of Mark 262 in two days out of a sniper rifle. And uh, good ammo for yeah, yeah. It was that was a good tail. thing. We at yeah. least we at least had good ammo. And but what am I doing in the video? You see me racking the. I was gonna say you're the you're turns because I'm trying to it. figure out my dope. Like, wait, what did he tell me? Shit. And I ended up telling my ben, uh, my spotter, Ben, he's a former SEAL, and I was like, dude, tell me where I'm hitting on this wall in 100, 104 meters because we're lazing stuff. And so I started, she's like, all right, you're on. Okay, dude, got a coming out, guy coming out at 300 meters right. by the blue car. I'd fire. He's like, hey, you're like four foot high. I'm like, fuck. So I just hold over, and then I'd start doping it, and then I'd start drawing out dope cards, and I drew the whole thing. So I'm in combat trying to dope a rifle, yeah. and that yeah, was you the can worst feeling of my life. I do that with hunting a fair amount. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the quick starter. I mean, I figured out to improvise, overcome, adapt, and you MacGyver. Yeah, well, you MacGyver that's like that you wanted a hundred, three hundred, aim for his face. You hit him. You hit him in the belly button, probably. Yeah. Well, you can. Yeah. It's cool because you do everything you're saying. Like in the video, you guys are having the conversation. You're you're si- you're seeing your splashes, adjusting for it, and then it look. It yeah, seems I mean, like the there's a is, shift in your confidence. Don't like keep yeah, doing. Yeah. Don't keep missing in the same spot and. Don't lose your shit. Well, you, you know what that was? The moment for me, and I, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but um, I do in my classes when I'm teaching rifle, because when rifle classes, we'll shoot out to, you know, 700 meters if we have it. Every student, everybody will make hits to 700 meters. Even dude, a couple of years ago, I went to SIG and all running their new Rattlers and stuff, 300 blacks. And and uh, I was like, all right, let's move back, guys. We're moving back to 400, 500. And the, the guys were like, wait, what, should we go get our ARs? I'm like, nope. So you're going to run your 300 blacks out to 800 meters because then they got that big-ass gong back there, that 4 by 4 target, and they were like, there's no way we can do this. I said, look, the bullet never lies. Trust me. And so I started sending it, and that's what that mo- – I always tell people, hey, have a marathon theory. If you want to learn to shoot good at 100 meters, learn to shoot at 800. If you want to run three miles fast, go do a fucking marathon and watch what happens to your mindset. So when I was young, I, I graduated boot camp, came home. My, my dad was Korean vet. Grandpa was uh, the only survivor, actually only veteran that we know of, that was in both theaters, European and Pacific, in all three major campaigns, Normandy, Okinawa, and Iwo Jima. He, by accident, got on the wrong train um, and went to Camp Pendleton when he was supposed to go back to Europe Command. Anyways, so I come home from boot camp. I'm a high shooter, honor graduate. I'm all proud and, you know, pride's fucking with me a little bit. And, and uh, my grandpa goes, so tell me about what you did. And I was like, well, we did this and that. He's like, what would you do with your rifles? And I said, well, we shot out to 500, 500 yards, Pop. And I called my grandpa Pop, and he's like, uh, he's like, really? He goes, that's pretty cool. He goes, what'd you do after that? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I, I got 8 out of 10 at 500. And he's like, okay, well, that's all you did? And I'm like, okay, old man, what are you, what are you talking about? You never shot 500 meters. And he goes, he goes, 
grandson, what the hell? You, what he goes, what happened to the Marine Corps? And I'm like, well, what? <laughs> you know, I'm young and dumb. I'm 18 at the time. And he says, uh, he said, you telling me you only shot the 500 yards? I'm like, yes, sir. I said, Is that, I thought that was a long way. So he said, go to your dad's safe and grab the M1 Grand right now. I was like, shit, okay. So I run and grab, this, grab the gun and come back. And he's like, you wind that elevation knob up. So I started going up 200, 300, 400, 500, 600. He's like, you keep going, boy. 700, 800, 900, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. I'm like, and then you, that, you know that freaking sight's like coming out top of that up. gun. Yeah, dog dick. And I'm like, Grandpa? And he's like, Grandson, we used to do area target packages for like eight weeks out to 1,200 meter targets with M1 Grands and Iron Sights. He goes, what happened to the Marine Corps? And I was the most defeated kid on the face of the planet, man, when <laughs> that man told me that. So, and I did, I was like, bullshit. So I did some research and I found units that actually did. He's like, you ever stood at the beach of Iwo Jima and looked up at that mountain? I was like, okay, gotcha. Tracking. Yeah, you yeah. know where the beach in Normandy and trying to hit that beachhead? Some long ass shots. And they were capable, man. We have forgotten where we come from with weapons. That's why I love the history aspect behind them. And so there I was sitting on the roof. Fast forward now what, 15 years later from that that point in time? And I'm sitting there shooting. I'm do- And all of a sudden, I, you know, some of the guys are like, dude, we got guys coming out like 700, 800 meters. I'm like, I got them. And I start shooting. I'm like, what the fuck am I hitting? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there in combat trying to dope this thing. And then all of a sudden, I realized I heard my grandpa's voice in my head. And I was like, you stupid motherfucker. Why did you forget that? Yeah. Why did you forget that? You know, because I used to push the limits. And so that's why I do that in classes now. That's why I try to push the limits of red dots and short guns and just to show people, hey, if you can do that, when somebody asks you on demand to hit a target at 100 or 200 meters, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. And versus always just training to those shorter ranges. Like, I got the majority of the cops out here right now that have never shot their handguns. These guys are career dudes. Some of them are out there 27 years. Have never shot their handgun past 15 to 20 meters. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so you take them to the 100-meter range. We, yeah. did, we, it, just, you know, we just finished that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's so easy, especially, you know, during the war. So many things have developed, and a primary thing has been optics. You know, that technology's been pushed, so we have great optics now. And then I think you start to view it to some degree as a handicap because I know, you know, if I sit down to shoot a group at 100, if I'm zeroing a gun, fuck, I want 35 power if, I, if there's no mirage. Yeah. Yeah. But you know you forget like we, we were zero my gun for africa yesterday so it's 11 inch barrel 86 mm. and got a swarovski one to eight on it and so there's a two moa target at 400 every shot every shot a- and Easy. it's like yeah you don't need 35 power to do it and, yeah. and more importantly you need to understand that you don't need that like it's great to fucking have if you have it but for me, well, like I go to Africa and I shoot from nine yards to maybe nine hundred, and most of it's going to be inside three hundred. I want one power, one to eight. You Absolutely. know, walking through the brush, and you don't you, you don't need that. Like I'd rather have I would rather have clarity or a good dot or other things lightweight. Um, but it is interesting how we, you know, you think you need all these things. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it with Chad, like. Chad, when you guys were in Wyoming, was shooting out to twelve hundred, and he only had eight power. Like eight power, he, he shot twelve hundred and sixty yards, hit a four inch circle in yeah. like six shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, look what we're doing with three. I mean, I've, there's guys stacking you know rounds at two thousand meters now with three oh eights. Right, you know? um, that's crazy. 
Yeah, I was out watching the freaking MSRT Coast Guard guys in Coalinga, California, on these big 36-inch gongs, and they were pushing it to 2,000 meters. These dudes were hitting consistently. You know, so we've taken that. Because so I remember when I worked with Todd Hodden, and I was like, dude, you want me to do what at a mile? And he's like, yeah, you guys. And so I, was, I go back and grab my 338 out of the truck. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm grabbing the long-range gun. He's like, what's wrong with your 308? And I was like, uh, he's like, you got a problem? I said, no, the gun might. And he's yeah. like, let's find out. And yeah. next thing you know, he's like, the bullet doesn't lie. And now you're seeing that mindset being stretched, that marathon theory where you go to scout sniper school, guess what they'll tell you? The weapon is not capable past 1,000 meters. Now that has finally changed. Yeah. Um, you know, Marine Corps, obviously, we shoot more longer than everybody else to 500 yards. Well, is an M4 That's crazy, dude. more capable than shooting at 500 yards? Yeah, we're printing like 12-inch groups at 1,200 meters, you know, on SBRs and stuff. Um, and I actually shoot a red dot more accurately out to 700 meters than I do a scope. Mm. And then beyond that, I, the scope kicks in for me. It's just a weird thing because I, I think it's sensory overload with my eyes and the optics. Well, it is interesting where, because I get the question all the time on social media because I make myself available. It's like, what optic do you want for, you know, uh, what's the best optic for a honey badger? Like, yeah. Fuck, I don't know. What you doing, man? That's right. And it's like, oh, I was looking a low pair of low power variable how far are you shooting you know 100 meters i was like jesus christ man save yourself money Mm -hmm. and weight and put a red dot on there there's nothing i can't shoot with that like don't even bother but the perfect optic it depends on what the fuck you're doing like if you're shooting inside 150 like there's no way i would not have a red dot like your field of view is awesome weight size like all these things are great like i like magnification but you really don't need it Mm -hmm. The only time I tell you when we were when I was in Afghanistan and, and a couple of, in north northern Iraq we'd run three by magnifiers but we would have them rolled to the side yeah. right. and we would scan with the three by and then we, if we saw a target to engage we'd roll into the red dot mm. so we were using the magnification oh, so using it as an offset as a PID oh, yeah. system so I can I can That's positively good. ID something and then I would roll into the red dot so I would I wouldn't have that sensory overload because yeah. your your eye cicades, right? It moves well, ballistically and that's what makes a reticle do crazy shit and that's why a lot of people miss when they have whole magnification. magnification, small you know, field of view. And, and you know what I find a lot of times too because uh, like if we're in Africa, I'm generally all, you know, you dial down as far as you can go until you engage a target and if you have time, turn up. And because, you, you know, you can plan to shoot something at 300 meters and it might be 20 yards from you when you, you know, you're stalking. And yeah, the last thing you want is 35 power. It, it, yeah. yeah. Or even eight power. Yeah. yeah and right. and um, but but I know when Thomas and I were there a month or two ago, um, there was a couple shots where I thought, OK, y- you know, we shoot, we shoot something and I've got the 3.6 to 18, and I'm not even paying attention. You focus on the animal, just trying to do the right things. You make a shot. Maybe it's only 300, and I go to dial my scope down, and I realize I'm on 3.6 power. <laughs> it's like it's amazing. Like you said, the bullet doesn't lie. Like if the crosshair is there, when you squeeze the trigger, like yeah. no matter if you're zoomed in or not, that's where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's interesting, like a real practice. And, and for me, it's always a battle of getting inside my head, trying to complicate too many things. And I just like it very, very simple. Yeah. Um, Same here. Cause you know, like last time we went, I was trying to, to, um, test several different loads that we were doing. So then I have like two or three zeros that I got to remember and remember what cartridge I'm using and dial for it and all this stuff. It's like, oh, <laughs> such a pain in the ass. Yeah. And then I start to get nervous and worry that I, I start out thinking myself. So you did this, it yesterday. 
We yeah. Were, we were done. And you were you hit. We were at 400 with that 8.6. Hitting every time we go to take the targets down. And you're looking at it. And you're like, wait, I think I was holding here and not here. And you, and you second guess. Like, not second guess, but then you start overthinking. Yeah, it, like, it happens. Did I just do this right? Well, I think I've learned through experience with my life, too. It, it, it's like I always have, like, my clearest thought and my most successful anything, whether I'm thinking through a problem, designing something, my most effective creativity is in the morning when I wake up. And Mm -hmm. so I think I've learned over time, okay, I knew what I was doing two minutes ago. Now I'm out, you know, trying to overthink myself and, and freaking out. And it's like, okay, chill out, asshole. You know what you know. Go spend a couple hours. And, you know, before I got home, I adjusted the scope and remembered exactly what I was doing and right. what I needed to do and that yeah. I was fine. And then Mitch confirmed it today. Yeah. He realized, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I was thinking straight. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. I got questions. What? All right, whatever. You go. You, uh, run, you, you, you run the joint. You, <laughs> you, go, go. you go ahead. <laughs> Ask your questions, King. All right. Well, well my yeah. first thing. Okay, so I want to know a couple things, try to make it fast. How do, you, how do you find and qualify these instructors? Where do they come from? <clears throat> That's a great question. There's a gaggle of them out in your kitchen. I right saw now. that. Yeah. So um, we have a very unique uh, team. <laughs> so we we draw. Sounds like some Jay bullshit answer <laughs> I'm about to get. Um, no, you know what? The uh, first thing I look for is, is principles, right? So I think you know the number one attribute to a warrior is compassion, because the more you care about something, the more you're going to fight for it. Um, I want to look for somebody that cares about people uh, because nobody gives a fuck about what you know until they know what you care. So a lot of dudes who go out there and spew their resumes or backgrounds and everything else in their training classes, they'll be condescending towards the students, um, especially military or law enforcement versus civilians. Um, that's that's There's no place for that in, in my world. Um, number two is vulnerability, right? They need to take care of themselves before... Uh, they take care of others. Like, I mean, you got guys out there like Bruce, big, tall Bruce. He ain't got no legs, man. He stepped on an IED in Afghanistan. Really? Yeah, dual prosthetics. Jesus, and, and man. That, that guy learned to walk, run, and jump higher on I boxes mean, than I, I ever could that in sucks, 17 months. But I saw him walk 100 meters and had no idea. Like, You won't? I mean, it sucks to lose your legs, but half out of st- all the time in history, now is probably the best. <laughs> yeah. And half the students, probably more, don't even know it. Tomorrow he'll still right. show up in shorts, and they'll just be like, what the fuck? Like, right, they, yeah. It's mind-blowing. Because of how fast the dude moves. So that's his, again, the resilience, the grit, all those little aspects that I look for in yeah, somebody that grit. can really like share, grit. share that, that that story back with people. Because I, I believe uh, you also have the ability to um, storytell based on your own experiences, your research, tangible data, you know, because we do fit into the science world a lot with what we do. Uh, and those guys are all good at doing that. You know, Jared, the shorter guy out there, he's, he's a director of training. He's... Uh, you know, not a military guy, not a law enforcement dude. He's a gray man in the group. But the guy can shoot his ass off. He's a science teacher for freaking, I think, 10 years. He was started out in uh, the biomechanics world studying equine reproductive physiology and biomechanics oh. studies. So, like, he just, the guy can take and you know, just run the programs and diagnose every little thing and create new systems and um, you know, Liam, he's he's a UK special forces guy, but he's incredible at speaking. He's got the accent, so students like it. You know, that's the only reason why we got his ass there. But no, he's a new guy to the team. Uh we all our guys come from all different shapes and sizes. I've got, you know, former SF dudes um that have, you know, incredible resumes, grandmaster shooters, but they can speak. They can articulate and break down the 
the kiss method of something, right? Not, yeah. hey, you keep it simple, stupid. No, that's not what it's about. It's like, how, how do we build this thing, this program of instruction or this weapon based around keeping it simple, like the SR-71 Blackbird, right? That was where kiss method came from. Uh, how do we take the pilot and put him in this highly complex machine and fly it? Well, it's the same as Johnny Ives at Apple, man. What did he say? He said, it's a device that works around you, so you don't have to work around it. That's mm-hmm. KISS method. You can hand the shit to a six-year-old. They can figure it out in 30 seconds or less. Um, so that's how products are being designed nowadays. That's how um, programs and instruction are being designed. So instead of – because I could easily take a highly complex subject like mechanics or ocular science – and bore the shit out of a student. And I want to make it fun. So, you know, that's also a requirement for my guys is to be able to stay up on all those things, continually advance themselves, you know, and, and, and most of them are like nine to five pay your bill guys, six to 12 build your skills guys. So they'll go back tonight and they'll work on something. They'll go, um, go to a public speaking class. They'll go to leadership courses. They'll, and I'll fund them. I'll send them all these things because I don't give a shit about a firearms instructor. I care about a human factors instructor. Can you actually engage with people? Is that something that, because you you started, you were doing the training thing early. Uh, you're one of the, the early guys. Um, is that something that you've noticed with now you have this huge explosion of these guys are getting out of the military, they just start training courses? Is that a disconnect that you, you can see in that an area that you wanted to improve because you see it in all these other guys? As far as them getting out and starting training companies, is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. So all these guys are starting. There's there's huge explosion of everyone's an instructor now. Oh, yeah. Um, and all these things, these points that you're talking about, are is that what separates you from yes from everybody and, else? And I've got dudes that have some incredible experiences and resumes. Like you get the retired CAG guy, dev guy, buddies of ours, dudes from the units that I used to work with. And they're like, hey, bro, I'm getting out. I'm retiring. You got any work for me to do? I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Oh, dude, I'll clean fucking toilets. And I'm like, nope, you're not my guy. I don't care. I don't want you to just have a retirement plan. What are you going to do for people? Um, how are you going to help that train? You know, like I said, when you stop at that town, like, hey, we're here in New Hampshire right now, and we are here for those people, so we don't blow past that train. And, you know, because that, that also um, is hard you know, to get guys in this industry that are instructors and, and they get a little limelight, they shoot well, they're in the videos, and next thing you know, they get greedy and they want more and more and more. And so I, you know, I've got a, a pretty badass conference room table in our, in our lounge. It's, it's a train. It's a 2,000-pound train that the table is 16 foot long. And in the ceiling, there's coal coming out of the ceiling, nine-foot badass titanium shovels that were machined, and it just says keep putting heart and soul into the machine not money and greed because that's where i think i fucked up a lot in my life is like you know you're making money you're seeing seven figure po's coming in every day and you're like holy shit you know this is great and then you start to forget why you're that great train and so that's why again back to that story earlier i wanted to step back to it and so again i'm, I'm trying to find guys i can relate to that to yeah. relate to people first um you know they they respect people um they can articulate they can yeah yeah of course you can shoot that's a that's a no shit requirement right you know that's like saying hey we need to communicate better no shit we need, how do we need to communicate so these guys could actually not only come in and and take on the program but add value to it where you know your normal firearms instructor that comes in or military guy that gets out he doesn't have that even if he's been to formal like poi or program instruction development schools he's he's not the guy until he can convert and realize that um, hey, people are the most important, and, it, and your resume doesn't really matter at this point in time. What you care about matters, and then they'll start to ask you about what you've done. You know, so it's kind of a reverse process, and and we're we're loved and hated for it. You know, yeah. Um, we training doesn't make money. You know, it's it's not something that you're 
you're going to retire off of. Um, and a lot of guys, I think they, they think that's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm like, you can be successful with a training company and on your own, driving around the country and doing every, you know, and burning yourself out and doing 20, 30, 40 classes a year. Now you can do well, but you can't do that forever. So that's why we space it out. And of course, the training team also is great for what? Product development. So when we have new systems coming in, you know, the triggers and stuff, you guys, I and mean, we're still running that stuff. We're working with a lot of different companies and, and, uh, cause we need to know everything, right? We can't be biased. I can't say, well, they do run Q and don't run this company right. or run this company. Don't run Q. It's like, no, you can't do that because that's, that's the personal preference of that end user. And so I need to understand it, its strengths, its weaknesses, what other opportunities it creates. I, lo- I love to hear that. So you, well, I didn't know you, you have the trigger or new trigger. I do. You've shot it. Yeah. I stole it off your desk last time I was here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned two things that <laughs> that I have a desk. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, that's wh- right. Shit, I fucked that one up. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um. Yeah. So, what do you think so far? It's good. I, I I'm. Uh, I probably got. I got the new springs. That you got to yep. say because that was uh, the issue. Oh, you, you know, had a, a had the first gen. You had yeah. like a prototype. Okay. Yeah, I think it was a prototype. Yeah. Wasn't it? And yeah, uh, since uh, since we put stainless springs in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> And uh, I think as far as, I mean, you want me to get into that now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what don't you like about it? Um, yeah, it's different for sure. I, f- I still feel like I, I like a, 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 a little bit more of a distinctive reset. And I think it's, it's a little, for me, it's personally a little bit shy of that. Uh, and that's where my brain goes into, again, that neuromuscular timing and capability. Um, I'll even take neurosensors and put it on the trigger and tap it and see if I can maintain up to a hundredth to a thousandth of a of a second neuromuscular connectivity. Mm. So we're doing that kind of shit with the trigger. We're not just going out and running freaking rounds like most guys will drag the fucking gun behind a car for two miles. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it didn't yeah. work. Like, okay, well, if I'm being drugged behind a car for two miles, I got more shit to worry about than my gun not working. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're really trying to think, think about the human factors behind it and... Um, you know, so and that's where I I would love to know, and I haven't even asked you guys like what what is that requirement? Why are you guys doing that trigger? Because that'll help me also with the evaluation of it for for the well, requirement. I mean, one thing you're saying the trigger it, it is probably the shortest reset ever, and um, s- so it's not as tactile as the break. Yeah, if you're not looking but, for it, you might miss it. W- yeah, but w- you know, most people would think it's probably two three times farther than it is. But we did um, the trigger for two reasons. We were using AR Gold, which yep. we liked a lot. Um, we had supply chain issues. It was a bottleneck for production. They can only produce so many. They also didn't all drop into mil-spec receivers. So that was an issue, and it had um, trigger slap. And then that uh, most of those things were an engineering issue, so we fixed those, and, and we actually offered to them for free. We just wanted hours made that way. And they weren't interested. And uh, in the meantime, we started using Geisley triggers. And Geisley, for the first year you deal with him, makes you pay in advance, um, which is kind of a dickhead move. Um, but it's it's really? cool. Yeah, so it's cool. He can do it. And then his triggers are very expensive. You know, for us, for like an OEM trigger, that's not. It didn't there. make sense. Like it's cheaper for me to develop one that's better, and then I can produce it. And we produce thousands of guns. We put it in there. We sell it. And it just turned out to be a phenomenal trigger. Like, the break is incredible on that trigger. The It's probably 
the most drop safe trigger out of anything that's reasonably lightweight. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, looking at the design, I can Absolutely. tell that. And yeah. we put a lot into the testing of it, and we wanted a super short reset. Um, we never wanted to make a trigger. We just needed triggers, and we weren't going to put a shit trigger in our product. And gotcha. that's kind of what happened. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and I think all it is 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 until I dedicate more deliberate time to it um, versus taking it out every once in a while we're doing testing evaluation of a bunch of different guns and stuff. When when I test that, what are people used to? What's the habit right, right now? It's a longer reset. So it doesn't mean what I'm saying is better, right? Could it be more distinctive and shorter? Yeah. Is that a better? Yes. Because here's my math formula. I, I realized this a long time ago. Uh, I was running a 1911 Marine Corps, and, and that's what we always ran. And I remember having a – I'll keep long story short. I just told it in class today because people were like, well, hey, how do you pull a trigger? And uh, I said, well, I was I was being told to slow down by one of my instructors. I was always a hothead. I was always fast. I had the trophy for four years in a row as a high shooter, and uh, he told me slow down, slow down, slow down. I was like, well, okay, what are you talking about, dude? Give me some help here. He's like, your trigger finger, man. Slow down your trigger finger. So I'm like, oh, I must be slapping it, right? I'm trying to guess what my coach is trying to tell me. I was like, all right, I'll put my brain into my finger. And so I go back, I draw the gun, and I had to fire six rounds like a bill drill at seven yards in three seconds. Um, so the pressure's on, you know, and the gun comes out, boom, 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 boom. And I was like, holy shit. And I looked down, that gun felt like it cycled twice as fast. And and it was, you know, you know how change, change takes a long time, but transformation's like, holy shit. It was like a light bulb moment. And I realized that, dude, he's right. It's not about speed. It's about distance. So that's what I do like about the short reset. Because if you look at an AR trigger, if you mic it out, it's going to be, what, 0. 0.089 on average of what I've mic'd out of, uh, like, the actual press. Once you start mm. to press back and it, and it drops a hammer, that's about 0. 0.890 of an inch, okay? So, and then you reset 0. 0.890 of an inch, and next thing you know, you have your total press and reset, okay? Like, so if you're shooting a Glock, it's 0. 0.70 point two seven zero for press and reset mm. okay it's one three five one three five once you get into the gun and start to, the gun goes off 1911 point zero seven zero that thing's nothing right? right greatest trigger ever designed most high performance so when you press that in that channel and you reset it um so like with that glock you know i'm taking if i fire 10 rounds to keep this very simple and i slap the trigger right now we're in you know i'm, I'm slapping here that's one inch on one inch off one inch on one inch off well, that's 20 total inches of distance that my finger needs to move to make those 10 stupid short rounds go off. But what if I could maximize that distance and press 2.70, right, on that press and reset, so 135 and 135, and then multiply that times 10, what is that? So 2.7 total movement, oh, yeah, point yeah. 2.7 is 2.7 inches. Right, right, right. So instead of 20 inches, I had to move my finger to go get those 10 rounds to go off, I'm only doing 2.7 inches of movement because I'm maximizing efficiency in my trigger control. So now you take yours. I'm curious. what I haven't mic'd out yet, but I don't know what that distance of travel is. So now we go into a, a different mindset, right? Because now we have a shorter system that now you have to create a new habit, and it could potentially be a very, very good habit because now I'm minimizing even more distance right. and potentially running the gun even faster if I needed to. Right, or just a shorter reset to be ready on that trigger again to take a follow-up shot. Yeah, it's fast. So that's all the stuff. I'm, I'm trying to take the mind, the neuromuscular timing, the mechanics of it, the requirement of it, and put it into that thinking, okay, 
you know, why did they do this? What's, what is all things that are going on? What are people going to experience with it? What are people probably going to say? And so I'm getting ready to where when people say, Hey, it's too short of a reset. It it is right now, but if we can change that mentality to where people understand the distance for me, maybe it'll work there. So I'm still working on that. I just tell people, everyone that's messed with it, that, that we show or whatever, I, I think of it as like, it feels so different right now, but if, if you dedicate the time and start shooting it, you're going to see guys running that gun so fast, so efficiently. Everything you're saying, like all these things come together, I think that trigger is going to enable people to run it, run the run the gun differently than it's been run before in a semi-automatic configuration. It's fast. Yeah. We've also got some we got some time uh, planned for that and two other things we're going to do with our Fuller Phoenix company um, next month because uh, we're launching our new plate carriers and crazy shit. I mean, it's it's a big, giant launch we're doing right now. we got films going on like crazy. Um, and so I'll get back to you on that because I'm going to test that distance theory and see if we can c- create Fair the experience. And Thank that's you. the experiential yeah. marketing yeah. that you need to tell people, like, hey, you got to change the habit. You can't just think, oh, it's a great trigger, right? Yeah. There's a reason why it's done I, I that I mean, way. it's hard for, you know, there there's a couple products we've done that, we're only doing because we can't get good vendor satisfaction. I get you. And, and so then if we're going to do it, like we got to do something better. And so how do you define better with a trigger? Yeah. You know, for me, one thing is, you know, I know where some of these first ones are going. It's like, it's got to, it's got to drop into mill spec, actual mill spec lowers and it's got to be safe and everything else from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, you know, prioritizing that list. And everybody's got personal preferences as well. Like that's is that a is that a, a super dynamic? Yeah, yeah three gun. So that's a flat face trigger, right? So I can't run flat flat face triggers with a shit because my finger always bounces off of them. Mm. You know, because it's just I need that curvature, that tactile feel. Now, if I rotate the gun to forty five degrees with an optic on there, so like on my my SD Honey Badger, I've got my thermal, and it's my home defense gun actually, and I've got my Leopold at the 45 degree so i keep the flat trigger on that gun because when i do rotate it i'm going to go fast on that when i see somebody in the house or in the backyard a coyote or you know freaking you know pant or freaking bobcat or something in the backyard um i like to kill shit too but when that happens i can run a flat trigger at a 45 degree angle way faster than i can run a a flat trigger straight Right. But I can run a curved trigger just as fast straight as I can run the flat trigger at a forty-five degree angle right. because of the way the hand and the mechanics lay down. It just it takes stays a lot running. of shooting to figure yeah, a lot of that it, shit out. It is, yeah, yeah. And, so yeah and a lot of that's kind of personal preference too. Like I, I like flat triggers, and it's not for everyone. But you know, the trigger on uh, our new trigger and on the fix, you know, it's a flat trigger and it's got a little. Yeah, I love so that. You can, yeah, you can put your finger in there yeah. if you want to. So you yeah. can find the right spot. Yeah. Well, what else? What else, Jay? What you got, my man? What's her story? Yeah, so I don't have it, but I'm curious as to the uh, the origins of of the logo, the dragonfly, the dragonfly, Kevin Costner movie, <laughs> yeah, mid nineties. There's an old Asian porn movie. Yeah. It's just yeah. like yeah, no, that's, way, that's way cooler. So why isn't all <laughs> pixelated then? <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, I'll keep it short. Um, and and it goes a lot to do. I think what we're talking about here too. Um, you know, I. I my first logo was the dragonfly for my first company. When I left Magpul, I brought it back and said, you know, I love that. And when I was looking for that logo for my first company um, and, <clears throat> and, and bringing it back into what we do now at HSP, we, uh, 
you know, my one of my one of my guys is like, dude, you got to get a logo. And I'm looking around the industry, and I'm like, ah, fucking Vikings and you know Spartans and guns and skulls and cross. I just I don't feel that man. That's not that's not me. And so he's like, well, wh- what's something that you appreciate? And uh, and I was like, I don't fucking know. I appreciate a lot of stuff. He's like, what's the first thing you remember appreciating? And I'm like, okay, that's gonna take a bit. And I remembered sitting down for a couple of days, and I was like, dude, I think I got something. And he, and he said, uh, what is that? I said, well, when I was six years old, according to my dad, um, I remember being in the front yard in, in Florida, and a dragonfly comes by and lands on a bush. And so me, I'm a boy. What do I do? I grab a stick. I'm going to whack this fucking thing because it's a bug, and you got to kill it. So my dad, standing there in the garage working on his old, his old SS Camaro. He just got off work uh, drinking a Budweiser. Um, he used to work on the Anheuser Busch farm, taking care of the Clydesdales. So we had For like real? tappers in the backyard. Oh, that's awesome! Got drunk at six, fell in the pool, almost died till my brother <laughs> pulled me out. I was bad. Um, so he's sitting there, peel top. This is like I don't know, eighty, eighty something, eighty two, and uh, yeah, he comes out. He around. he comes out and says, "Son, don't you kill that dragonfly?" I turn around, and stop. I'm like, "Why, Dad? It's just a bug." And he says, "That's not just a bug, son. If you kill it, you'll have bad luck." And uh, and my dad didn't talk much. When he did, you stopped, you listened, or you got your ass beat. Um, and so now, all of a sudden, I remember this feeling. You know, if I could describe it today in, in articulate words, I'd say, "Why does it mean so much to my dad?" All of a sudden, because I don't know why he wasn't a religious guy. He wouldn't, you know, into a lot of stuff. He worked his ass off. He loved to fly. That was it. I said, "So why was this thing that was just moments ago so inconsequential and irrelevant and worthless to me?" all of a sudden now has some significance to it. So I said, Dad, why? What's so special about this? You know, I kill everything else I see, and you don't bother, it doesn't bother you, but, you know, why this? He said, I'll teach you one day. So we start going fishing. He'd take us out and show me and my brother how, you know, if a uh, little well, first, if you catch a fishing, uh, uh, catch a dragonfly in your fishing rod, you got good luck. So, you're gonna, so I didn't give a shit about fishing. I just sit there still as a rod and, and try to catch dragonflies all day. And I'd run through the yard, and they'd be my little airplanes and fighting, playing the big G.I. Joes, and... And then he'd start to teach about cultural lessons as we got older and say, like, you know, the uh, natives or the indigenous people of America, right? If you see a dragonfly going through the desert, um, there's water nearby because they're a symbol of life, because they're a symbol of water and because they're born in the water and uh, they're amphibious. So I'm like, well, shit, I love water. That's my second home as an amphibious reconnaissance guy and being from Florida and I love the sky. So that was kind of the first little checkbox for me. And then he started talking about some of the Asian, you know, arts was like a sign of peace, poise, tranquility, power, presence. Um, and uh, Native Africans, I mean, there's a lot of great, like, ties to the Odonata, which is the dragonfly order um, around the world. And so he teaches there's all these the things. dragonfly order. Yeah, yeah the, Od- the, Odonata, the Odonata, which is one of, like, that's my holdings company is Odonata. <laughs> and so all the other companies fall underneath it. Okay. And, um... Yeah, I forget. It's like 470-something species of dragonfly in the world. And um, there he starts telling me, hey, it's the most efficient flying animal on the face of the planet. Nothing can fly like it. Like a hummingbird will flap its wings like a 1,000 flaps uh, uh, a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Where a dragonfly will only be like 30. So because of the way their their thorax is designed and the way they pop. and But they're the most dynamic and most efficient animal on the face of the earth. So they do more with less, which goes into a lot of concepts we talk about yeah. and weapons and tactics and stuff like that today. Um, it's the greatest hunter on the face of the planet for its size. It's all it's doing is two things, hunting 
and fucking. So I thought that was a pretty good life. So I was checked that box too. And and then uh, um, it's the most adaptive species on the face of the planet besides rats and cockroaches. But I thought that'd be a shitty logo. And it's outside of my building, you know. Um, and then the biggest thing for me, there's so much I could talk about, but the biggest thing for me is the one thing that stood out was self-reflection. Like when you see them flattering, flattering in the, uh, in the sunlight, you'll see this reflection off their wings. And to, I think some of the Japanese, they will say that that is your time to self-reflect when you see this guy flying through the air because of their lifespan. And that was really what stuck out to me. And so a dragonfly will live, uh, up to five years underwater. As a as a nymph, as they oh, call them, shit. and they're vicious little fuckers. They'll kill everything, and they try to survive. And then they just to take flight to come out on that cattail or that branch or whatever it is. And when they take flight, they they're dead thirty days later. That's it. So like, why live this horrible hard life being forged underwater to turn into this beautiful creature and fly for thirty days and die? Doesn't make sense to me. How can it be the most adaptive creature on the face of the planet and live for thirty fucking days? Like that's a, almost an impossible thought. So what it does for me is it makes me put time in perspective and makes me look at my own life and self-reflect and go, shit, what's my 30 days, man? What is my 30 days on this earth? What is all of our 30 days on this earth? Um, the only, the best thing I can figure out to do with it is just like that little guy that flies around that was inconsequential and irrelevant and worthless to me now has significance because it reminds me every single time I see it to make the world a little bit better place when I came in it. That was you deep. You only got 30 days. I said, Dude, that, I tell you one thing that story told me was there's still hope for you. You're going to come days. out of that water. <laughs> I got a couple weeks. Uh, yeah. Damn. So that's it, man. That, that is cool. That is deep for a logo. I just wanted something to look cool and was short. <laughs> yeah, so he went with uh, skull and cross rifles. Dude, those were the nineties. <laughs> All right, that's right. AC man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what were your parents listening sc- to when I they made you? I don't want to know because <laughs> it's going to be something I like. Well, I, love I, almost put a, I almost put a skull aspect into it because of the mortality aspect. Right, you know, yeah. life. Like, dude, it's the same shit. You know. Um, I didn't want like Vikings or Spartans. And oh. like, they're all fucking dead. Why would I? Why would oh, I yeah. choose you, them? You, well, you might like this one then. When. Earlier this year, I was in Africa. We were hunting. We were stalking something. We found a human skull in the woods. Guy left it there. Uh, <laughs> I assume it was a guy. I don't know. It's just the skull. And uh, so I went towards it, and our trackers lost their fucking minds. And and so our PH starts translating, and I was walking towards it. I wanted to see it, take a picture of it, look at it. And they start freaking out. And they're like, you'll be cursed and haunted if you touch it. Don't touch it. And and so he translates that back to me. And I'm like, motherfucker, I ain't superstitious. (laughs) Like, that's just a bone on the ground. (laughs) And uh, so then he he tells them that. It's like, hey, Whitey's not superstitious. And they're like, yeah, because evil spirits don't affect white people. Only us. (laughs) (laughs) Is what they said. And so then I'm like. Well, damn, now I can't touch it, even if I want to, because they believe they're going to be cursed if I touch it. Because you touch it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was it. Damn. So it's a skull. So it made skulls kind of cool to me again. But um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. No, guys, thanks for having me. This this is awesome catching up with you after all this time. 
Yeah. So awesome. Well, this is a special so one, much. too. We could do this for like yeah. a whole day. I feel yeah. honored, man. This yeah, is a special this? one. This is your... This is the season finale. Season, season finale. One. I was sad. Season ender. I was sad initially because I was like, man, I really love doing this. But then I just remember it's a season finale. And we'll be back in a couple months. All right. So uh, here's to a good season. We'll see you in February for season two. Cheers. Cheers.